You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jacob, thanks for coming on. People who don't know, Jacob is the co-founder of a YouTube channel that I used to watch a lot and envy as they had better quality than us, but we're doing <laughs> similar stuff. It was called Wisecrack. Uh, Jacob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Nice to see so, you. Yeah, man. So you uh, you recently sold. I'm sure Ben has heard the story, but this is the part that I'm curious about for selfish reasons. Uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about the mindset that went into like, it's time for me to leave this project and also as much as you can though i understand if you can't get specific about the financial way that a youtube channel is sold because i imagine if i tried to sell my youtube channel to anyone they'd be like you're gonna have to stay forever because you're not my indentured servant in making these videos no especially because you left yeah right i did so like we we you know stepping back a little bit like we wanted to when we created wisecrack we wanted to create a channel that was that where we were sort of in the background so jared never Mm -hmm. really wanted to be a, a talent on screen but he he did out of a necessity eventually you know youtube wants uh wants to feel almost like you're you're in the green room with somebody like you're hanging out with somebody it's not like a presentation or a film which is what jared and i originally wanted to do is to make movies together so eventually jared did come front and center and did present himself and did become a host on the channel but that that sort of entangles a bit with when you sell a company or sell a brand or sell a channel it, you know, a big part of the value is like, is there a brand there? Or is it really just a personality or an individual? And if it's an individual, it's kind of hard to sort of step away eventually and and not be entangled with the product or with the sale. So, so Ben we, can leave, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. Exactly. So Could Ben has the, out, has the out. Could Jared leave or is he still there? Jared actually did just leave just recently, okay. like within the past is, few months. He was more so like the face to the viewers of the of Wisecrack, right? And and J- look, in 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 every way, Jared is the Wisecrack brand uh, in terms of the content. So Jared, you know, early on when we started the company and started the brand, uh, so like I said, we wanted to be filmmakers. We came to make movies. We realized that YouTube was going to be a way faster platform to actually make stuff, get it made, have an audience. You know, you guys know what that's like. And once you have that first success. It's almost like tasting blood. Like it's like, wow, this is so <laughs> exciting. You know, we can keep keep doing this. So um, we we built the channel, but early on, I think we were trying to find our way. I I was a tech entrepreneur. I was a guy who had worked in a for a software company before. Was living in London. Was helping expand the software business across Europe. And I was very business oriented and very technical. 
Jared was a real filmmaker. I mean, he had gone to film school. He was he was working in L.A. He was studying scripts. He knows cinema better than anyone on earth that I know. And hmm. so when we arrived together, made a decision to actually join forces and create something, whether it be movies or TV shows or whatever, and eventually became YouTube. I think the beginning was just us figuring out what are our roles, like who I, I thought I was going to be a writer director. I think Jared thought he was going to be a writer director. Uh but then, you know, someone had to do the business side of things and someone had to do the the scripting and someone had to do the, the the editing. And so we kind of eventually landed and it turned out that I was really a great producer, a great business guy, a really good, strong, like organizational person and operations person. Jared was a really strong content person. Mm-hmm. And this is before we even knew what the channel was going to be or what we we're going to create. But yeah. so when it became to, you know, because Jared was in the role of creating the content and running content, um, Really, it became his baby in a lot of ways. Like the content that that's what you know, Wisecrack's content is a reflection of what he cares about, what he knows. Yeah. So I, you know, you, I take almost no both, credit on the content side of things. Did you both try to make content, and you just yeah. were like, "Oh, his is better." Like, how did you just? How did you find your roles? Yeah, that t- it's so we created a, a number of series and things before. So I created a, a show before we even launched Wisecrack that. I thought was really funny. It was a, it was a, com- a comedic show. Uh, it did fairly well. Um, and I liked it, but then, and I found like I, I'd kind of captured lightning in a bottle at first. Like it was really cool. It was my first time making anything. And I was like, wow, I'm really good at this. And then when it came to like <laughs> doing the second and third and fourth, I was like, oh, I'm really bad. <laughs> like I had no patience really for learning how to script properly and figure out storytelling. And it, it just wasn't, when it came down to it, I was much more interested in like learning how to work the cameras and how to figure out the the microphones and how to get the channel built and how to grow the audience and how to you know launch the YouTube and do partnerships. Like I was just much more interested in those pieces. And I would see that I'd bring Jared along for a partnership call or a partnership meeting. I remember like we had meetings with YouTube. YouTube pulled us in like, you guys are doing really cool stuff. I'd bring Jared along. I'd be thrilled afterward. Jared would be like, I am so tired. I need to sleep all day. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's, you know, it's just like the introvert extrovert thing. And um, match. I've become more introverted with time. But at the time, I just realized there are certain things that I'm really good at, certain things he's really good at. And I just realized he had the patience and the and the, the sensibility, honestly, for more popular content, like the stuff that he made resonated with many more people and was much more accessible my yeah. stuff was kind of like fringe and i was much more into like i want to make art film you know, it wasn't really yeah, the kind yeah. of stuff that people it wasn't going to turn make a make a good business and yeah. did you guys have a vision for it in terms of we're going to be huge we're going to focus on money we're going to focus on views was it meant to be a lifestyle business and the goal is to just sit in a hammock for most of the day like what was the vision if you even had one yeah, that's a great question. I think early on, our vision, uh, when we came together for the first time, Jared and I just wanted to make movies. And I don't. I think it was almost like a very romantic uh, sort of endeavor. The idea was we're just going to create really the good stuff, the really good stuff. We're going to make, you know, the Coen Brothers kind of material. We're going to do mm-hmm. stuff that's that's off the beaten path, but really interesting and artistic and creative. So money wasn't even involved. And I, I took the leap away from the software business to do something artistic and creative. So I just came here to make to make art. 
Uh, and Jared definitely did the same thing. He didn't, he didn't pursue this career for money and money is, you know, Jared used to laugh. Like if I made a million dollars, I would just set it all on fire. Like that'd be funny <laughs> to me. And I was like, don't do that. <laughs> Give it to <laughs> and, me. Wait. And did he, <laughs> set it on uh, fire? he did not set it on fire. <laughs> what a we, we, we sell out. We laugh now that he and I switched places. Like I became a Buddhist and very, very, you know, compassionate and really like have like slipped away from the money being the priority. And Jared is mm. more like, no, I think, I think that's necessary to be kind of you know independent in this world um but we just sort of we i you know we shared a lot of our characteristics with one another sure Um, but anyways we we started for art and then um you know what desperation kicked in i mean i was i was a bit more i was a bit fine financially because i had come off of a big software gig and i'd worked Mm -hmm. in in the software industry and we had a big exit and we ipo'd and it was a kind of a i had a very different background but jared was here as a filmmaker I convinced him to say, like, step away from your day job. Let's just make movies together and let's start making web series and stuff. And eventually it came to a point where, like, it was desperate times. I mean, there were really Mm. desperate moments there where it was touch and go, where Jared was like, look, I'm down to like 500 bucks and that's it. Like, it's not like I've got a backup plan here. Like, I've got to start taking gigs. So Jared was doing, you know, script reviewing processes, like, like script coverage he was doing freelance work here and there just to make the make ends meet. We got a couple. Of, I, have, I have a quick question. Yeah, yeah. The, the parallels are ridiculous. I was, I was going to say your story so, is bizarre. Serious? <laughs> yeah, wow. Correct yeah. me if I'm Who's wrong. Who's the rich had, one? Yeah, <laughs> that's this guy. Dude. Oh, hey, hey, so wait, no wonder we get along. I'm no, kidding. Dude, I was in I was in Wall Street. I did two years investment banking, two years private equity. Then came to do this. Right. So I had I had been paid. Uh, well, a yeah. lot of money. I had, I, yeah, I had, living in, and then we moved to Brazil, by the way. So I mean, right. in Brazil, you're yeah, talking you're, ten, you're... 10 years before I had to work again because wow. you're just you just have no cost of living. Charlie got down to his last five hundred dollars. Oh, I got lower than that. It's, I I withdrew the some. I worked for a year and a half, and they had a four hundred one k that they put money in, and that you know I didn't put any money in. But uh, I took it out for the, with the penalty and just wow. got hammered because oh, yeah. I needed that. Wow. Early wow. liquidated it, dude. I I Airbnb'd my bedroom. I was having strangers literally bringing women back to have sex in my bedroom and couldn't say really anything to them because I needed the five-star rating and I needed to re-rent that bedroom to somebody wow. else the And you were SAT day. tutoring yeah. on the side while we were doing this business. Yeah. So Whatever it's, it takes. It's, cra- it's crazy <laughs> how similar the story is. Right. And those desperate, crazy. like, I think probably same thing with you, Ben. Like, you see your friend in those dire straits and it's not like you're going to give him money, but you're also like, okay, we got to reorient this thing to actually work. No, I got more stressed for Charlie's financial situation than Charlie did. Yeah. Yeah, I was worried about him. And so I was, I was putting money into things. We weren't going 50, 50. I was just like funding things to try to go to mentorship things or masterminds. I was like, we got to get this going. He, he was cool as a cucumber. He never seemed stressed at all. What's funny is it can't get worse than that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and I, it can for some people that live in Africa. Yeah, yeah. But yes, but for me, I was like, you know what? I'm already a failure. And like my mom and dad are going to keep me fed. I've got Goya beans and I can sleep on their couch. So like, luckily I know where my floor is. I have a middle-class floor of just middle-class failure. Yeah, guys living in your parents' basement. And that's where I am. I guess that's probably true. I don't think, yeah, Jared wasn't going to get destitute, but it was, you know, like if you ever have to pack up and leave LA to go home, I think that's a, it's a, it's a big mark. You know, it's, it's hard. That's really tough pill to swallow. Yeah. yeah it hurts. And I think you're right. Like I was just ego. concerned. Like, I was like, okay, shit. Like I think the reality set in when I, when I heard Jared say things like that, like, like, look at my bank balance, like we're, we're low, <laughs> you know, this is uh critical. We got out of, you know, it was a miracle. I think we got like a small grant from YouTube to do more episodes of a show that we were working on at the time called Thug Notes. And that helped like 
pay some bills. And then uh, we got an advertising deal with LG. They had seen uh, some of our shows and they gave us a deal that helped like literally just pay bills for a few months. It was something like mm. I wouldn't ordinarily take advertising work. Jared probably hated that kind of work, um, but we needed it. We needed to figure that out. And I think that's quickly when I said, okay, tr- Jared, trust me. Let me figure out, like we have to turn this into a business. Like if we want to sustain ourselves as artists, we're going to have to figure that out. And for me, the path that I knew was we can create a company, we can fundraise, and that will allow us to pay ourselves a very small, modest salary. I think we're paying ourselves 35000 a year. Once we had already raised uh, almost a million dollars, like we paid ourselves very modest salaries. I oh, thought you just to- pre-sale fundraised for your YouTube channel. Yeah. So that's, I did not know that. Yeah. That's, uh, maybe that's news. Yeah. So we raised, uh, two rounds of funding. We raised about $2 million all in over the course of running that, that brand. And so that Mm. took us like, look at the beginning, like, like you've been, I put money into the, into the company. I put my own money to finance some of the first shows. And over time I was able to pay myself back for those, those debts. Um, but we created really cool things, got initial traction with our, with our own money to see where we could get. And once we had enough traction and interest, plus, you know, some of my, my business experience, I was able to go out to, to friends, family and angel investors to get, to get angels to invest. And we, we so raised what, money. So what were you raising on at the time? Cause it sounds like the business wasn't making cash. Was it on your reputation? Was it on your view count? How did you tell someone, oh, this is worth you putting in $500,000 to get some small percentage of it? Yeah, yeah. There's a, a combination. So the, the traction was great. We had millions of views by the time. So we, we came, Darren and I, uh, I moved to LA in summer of 2012. So for from 2012, our first hit was that that winter, the winter of 2012. We had a, our first hit on our hands. And then uh, we kept making content. We launched Thug Notes in 2013 with Greg Edwards and and, uh, and a really cool scholar named Joe Salvaggio. So we made this really cool show called Thug Notes that grew and exploded quite a bit. YouTube got interested and gave us a little bit of funding. I can't remember what the amount was, maybe 50,000 bucks, but it allowed us to keep making Thug Notes, but also helped us then launch 8-Bit Philosophy, which was our philosophy show. Uh teaching philosophy through video games. And so at that point we had three shows that were that were all three were hits. Um, and we got approached by Random House, the the, the publisher, mm-hmm. to create the Thug Notes book. And that was a pretty big deal. I don't know if I can share them out, but it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, deal. Wow. So having that sort of promissory note of like, here's this book deal we have. We've got YouTube as invested. We have three hit shows. Like we are a format making kind of machine. Like we're a company that can make really cool, thoughtful, educational content that's funny, that resonates, that gets tons of viewership. And how was Jared running out of money if you guys got three hundred thousand dollars? Was your content extremely expensive to produce? Well, we don't get it all up front, first of all. Like so the the book the books the the book deals and and I should say the dire straits came before we even launched Thug Notes. That was more got like twenty twelve, early okay. twenty thirteen. We didn't launch Thug Notes until the summer of twenty thirteen. So we were talking about right before then it was sort of like and we were making that show with our own money. So the book deal didn't come through I think until the end of twenty thirteen and uh the the point is you're living kind of hand to mouth for so long on these deals. Like you get mm-hmm. a big book deal you've got to write the book and that takes a year or two years to write, write the book. I think we did it in a ver- much faster than that, but it took a long time and you're not mm. getting the money right away. And, um, and, and for example, the, the money from YouTube, I think 100% of that went straight to, uh, to Greg, to the writers, to the, to the production. 
it's it's it goes quick you know we 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 just didn't have money you know there was no it was either we we're gonna bootstrap <laughs> it or grow it um yeah, that's such and, a different business model it's so interesting well you got well we can discuss this in a moment i want to hear more but um one of the one of the initial differences i'm hearing is that you guys like you're you're a producer is what i'm hearing you've got cameras that are good <laughs> on-screen talent that isn't you and your partner yeah, how and much was a vi- script writer video cost roughly we we i thought we we did a we were like a miracle we the first episodes of thug notes i want to say cost like two or three hundred dollars a piece but that's not paying anyone like a legal rate i mean it was paying mm-hmm. you know it was like kind of like friends and fa- friends and family just giving us favors like okay mm-hmm. we can let you borrow our house as a set yeah. uh our our camera person is doing it for fun because we're trading favors and that's that's a big way of how early hollywood works what's so interesting is uh, i i loved it It was like boogie nights like you come to town everyone's sort of hustling and working and sure but but you're the camera guy like you know at the time he had no work no prospects he was 20 something years old and now all of a sudden he's working in the industry and he's mm-hmm. you know he's working on big shows and it's we all help each other out and it's like rising tides Cool. Um, but yeah, we re- like I said, we didn't want to be front and center. So we wanted to produce shows. We wanted to have characters. We wanted to create formats. Um, the camera was a camera that I bought myself personally that we used and we literally still use to this day. It was a <laughs> Canon 5D yeah. that we've been using now for nine years or something. So yeah. Good enough. But yeah, was, I have a, yeah. uh, a a Logitech webcam. We just upgraded from 720 to uh, 1080. We, Let me we come went, be your producer. We went, <laughs> dude, please. Oh my gosh. I mean, Justin is going to, this is, the podcast is actually solid. You guys I mean, have good Justin, mics there. I like to see the Sure SMB 8 or whatever they are. Man. Well, this you is, know, what mic does Joe this, Rogan use? This is the, <laughs> right. the business that got started after the successful business. So it's like, oh, should we put a couple thousand dollars into equipment? Yeah. But with Chris Mon Commands, like, Let's get a $50 camera and get this thing going. Well, you don't yeah. need it. That's the thing. Like that's the, the 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 hilarious joke of YouTube is that you don't the quality is not necessary and in some ways it smells bad. Like it it looks bad to look too good, too glossy. So there's always an element for Jared and I of like we want it to be pro- like high quality production value, great writing and the writing is really the that's the that's the the magic. The production if it looks too good and too slick it's going to turn people off even though you can kind of emulate a really good look. It doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. So Thug Notes, for example, had really crappy animations. And every show is like a little bit, you know, I think got more polished over time as we worked more advertisers. Um, but yeah, we raised a round of funding. We, you know, then started to turn it into more of a business. So the question was more like, what was the goal? I honestly think Jared and I created Wisecrack out of desperation in some ways. Like we had a creative vision for sure. BuzzFeed and Vice and uh, Refinery29, all these big kind of media companies and digital media companies were starting up and making and raising a ton of money. And we were, we were sort of banking on that, on that, on that wave. We were sort of saying, Mm -hmm. we're going to be another one of those creators, but in the education space. And, and I think, you know, honestly, I think if I look back, one of the things I wish Jared and I had done more of was just spend time really thinking about like, what is it that we want? Not just Mm -hmm. what's going to keep us alive and float. And I think Mm -hmm. out of desperation and out of that rush, to get Jared a salary and for me to be able to sustain myself and get myself paid back for some of the debts that I, you know, or some of the loans that I made to the company. I think we just rushed to whatever was going to work. And it was in some ways it's great. And we're here and I don't regret it at all, but it would be nice to have thought through like, do we, is it about money? Is it about the views? Is it about the vision? And how much, how much equity did you have to give up? Is it, was it, because I know some angel investing, they get in for, you know, 2% of the business, but then other times they'll take a pretty meaty chunk. So did you have to give up a lot of the business? 
Uh, I had I was lucky to have good good advisors and good uh, friends from the previous company. So one of my great mentors, a guy named Brett Hurt, uh, Brett started the web analytics industry. Started a company called Cormetrics, then Bizarre Voice, and now Data Dot World. Mm-hmm. I just asked him and a couple of other mentors on the on my uh, on my previous for my previous company, friends of mine, and, and they came in as investors too. What's typical? And typical is every round of funding is typically in the ballpark of you're giving up between 10 and 30% of your company every yeah, time. Yeah. And it's we, a big chunk, yeah. Yeah, but that's for the round. That's for the round. So, so yeah. if you raise a million dollars, you're typically, you know, raising on a, uh, you know, I think for that first million dollars we raised on uh, with a convertible note, what's called a convertible note. And now that's even becoming easier and easier. But a convertible note is sort of like a, a sense of what the valuation might be. And I think we raised a million dollars on a four and a half million dollar cap valuation cap at the mm-hmm. time. So that was roughly 25 percent. Wow. So, so do you I imagine if somebody at any point, even even today, that those numbers are large, if somebody had said, hey, I think your business is worth four and a half million dollars or six million dollars or eight million dollars. I would feel thrilled in the moment. It's like, we're going to give you uh, 10% of that, 20% of that. Today, I'm extremely happy that that didn't happen because I don't know anybody who (laughs) could have done that. And and I'm very glad that Ben owns half and and I own half. So I'm curious. I'm sure it felt good at the time. Do you regret selling? People often ask us about bootstrapping and fundraising. My advice is the path that I took, which is as long as you can hang on to equity. Do you have a different perspective on that? Oh, God, there's no right way to go about that. But... um there's pros and cons. The pros are once you have the money in the bank, then you can pay yourself again a modest salary. Jordan and I were paying ourselves thirty five thousand a year, I want to say, early on, and uh, for us that was thrilling just to be able to say, "Great, I have a full time job. I don't have to worry about moonlighting to make this thing work." Uh, so all that feels really liberating and free. You know, you have runway. You know that you can actually pay your crew and your staff and your and your editors. You can actually you can sleep at night. But then mm-hmm. it creates a whole different kind of sleep because all of a sudden there's a different pressure that it starts to mount. Is like the investors like, "How's it going? What's going <laughs> yeah. on? Where's the return? Yeah. Where is that Where, million yeah, dollars? Yeah, where's the return? That's yeah. the question." And that, so, so it introduces. So it's really a give and take. So there was a moment actually after I I sold Wisecrack. I will get into that if you have questions about like yeah. what you're what out I, completely. Is that fair? I'm out completely? Yeah, I'm yeah. out completely, completely. Um, and that was part of my by design. That's what I wanted. I wanted to move on. I wanted to. So no I, equity, no responsibilities. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I consult occasionally for the buyer. Um, they're called Omnia Media, and they're now they were owned by Blue Ant Media, and then they've just been sold to Enthusiast Gaming. So, but so I it's consult like occasionally, and I'm still. In, what's that? It's like a game of Pac-Man. Someone bought you. Yeah, yeah. And someone bought them. It's and all, someone bought them. Everyone's Jeff always Bezos owns it all. Yeah, it's, it's Jeff all about Bezos, Bezos right? So I work for Jeff. Um, so yeah, it's always. So um, I think I've lost my train of thought there. Like I think uh, the trade-offs. There's there are trade-offs. It's just mm-hmm. um, if you have the opportunity in front of you great and it can be something you'd 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 want to contemplate i think in retrospect i wonder if we should have raised later and maybe just taken our time a bit more mm-hmm. at the same What's time up? did you raise the, before the book deal uh we raised right after the book deal got signed so we signed the book mm-hmm. deal and that was actually the great momentum that we needed to be like look guys we're getting youtube's real. approaching yeah. us uh the book you know book publishers are approaching us and you know we're, un- we're unstoppable so come join us now at the ground floor and mm-hmm. and it worked out. You know, we were very, 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 very lucky that uh, things worked out as we'd hoped, and we grew the way that we wanted to, and we built a profitable company that was that was that worked. Um, 
but it's just a trade-off. I think after we, after I sold Wisecrack, the, I, for many months, I just thought like, I can't wait to build my own company where I own hundred percent. I, I don't have to give any investor updates and I don't have to do any of that stuff. And I see many entrepreneurs who enter that phase after having like a VC backed company. And then they sometimes go back and they can't wait to do it again. It just takes a different kind of appetite. Like you, when you take mm-hmm. that check, I think at the time I thought it was free and then I realized, <laughs> oh no, this mm-hmm. is, there's a huge cost and a pressure and you, and, and some entrepreneurs are super up for that challenge and very excited to take the pressure and the challenge. And others are like, please make it easy. You know, please yeah. just uh, let me make this something that I really love and enjoy and keep the pressure low for a long time. Just different. Yeah. And then when you, when you did just sell every, the, the rest of your equity, was that something where you were feeling burnout and you went out to search for a buyer because you were ready for a new chapter? Was that someone gave you an offer you couldn't refuse? How did that happen? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I wasn't burned out. I, maybe I was. I don't, I don't think, I don't remember it being burnout so much as like there were some really tough years. Um, there were tough moments. Um, so as you know, for both of you guys too, like it's not for the faint of heart to be an entrepreneur and definitely not a digital video entrepreneur. Like it's just, it's pressure, you know? And, and someone mentioned to me that it's, it's, it's like riding a bike with no shocks. Like you just feel every bump. And so maybe on that bike, you know, you get to get some incredible views. You have some incredible highs. You see things that other people don't ever get to see, but the ride back is just, it's hard. Like you're just feeling all these bumps. So Can you walk I, me through that just cause I'm curious if that, if I have that experience or not, like yeah. what, what, bumps do you feel was it hard because of financial stress or just you were working so much can you, can you give me like some concrete I'll about give you, the bike yeah ride? i'll give you some examples like one of them was uh we we had built up a well, let me just give you an example like the quickest example is having to let people go so we re- we mm. got to a team size of maybe i don't know 15 or 20 people um at some points even bigger we had a network of a hundred and some people you know editors and different creatives that we work with and when it came down to firing people because we had to you know get down to because facebook changed its algorithm and we had to reprioritize like that stuff just sort of ate me up i mean i'm not i'm a business guy but i'm not robotic and that stuff Mm -hmm. sort of hurt and it was definitely a blow to the ego and that was like those days that were it was like the the dark nights just like wow this is not something that's very fun or, you know, Jared and I would certainly quarrel, you know, it wasn't like it was super, super easy all the time when it came down to philosophically what we wanted this thing to become or what, what changes we had to make or having to make, you know, having to focus on really popular content to feed the YouTube beast. I mean, all that was just like, (laughs) what was the, what was the biggest fight? Um, probably around popularity of content. Like I think again, it's what's sad is that Jared and I went into this to be artists and mm-hmm. then as the business is growing and we've raised $2 million, we have the pressure on our backs. Uh, and now we have to go cover, you know, the Avengers movie, you know, and that might not be yeah, something that Jared yeah. really likes and something that mm-hmm. I really care about either. But it's very important for for the audience. It's very important for our channel and for the health. Uh, I think the other big fights were around sponsorship. Um, we, you know, I think it was a love-hate relationship. The sponsors made made everything possible. At the end of the day, that was our business. And I do admire that for you guys, that you guys have a different business model. You guys are really focusing on the course. And that is another kind of regret is I wish we had focused more on product or figured out something that our audience would want to pay for. Right. Uh, because that would have given us a lot more freedom than than advertising. And so Jared and right. I, you know, would probably fight around that stuff. It was like... Uh, so someone would want to take the money because you have to pay we investors. Have to. And yeah. the other person would say, I don't like this product. 
I don't feel comfortable endorsing it. And there'd be a there'd be a tug of war there. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think there's any specific. If if Jared didn't like an advertiser, didn't think it was appropriate, we definitely wouldn't do it. But I just think like the fact of like, hey, like we need to fill like 100 percent of our videos need to be sponsored. Yeah. Jared's like, that's mm. that sucks. Like, I don't want to have to be shilling out products yeah, yeah. all day long. And I don't want to have to be like our, it's going to hurt the audience and those trade offs. You know, Jared is is at the end of the day, he loves the brand, loves the mm. content, loves the audience. And any time there was there was a sacrifice being made, uh, that sucked, you know. And it, and it wasn't just like he wasn't just angry with me or upset at the situation. It was just it was like an existential dread. Like why <laughs> he's like I I would be that audience like that guy who just commented and said that you suck and you're a sellout. He's like that's, that's me. me. <laughs> like I believe that now because I think that's the truth. Did you guys ever think about making something? Because that is the one. I mean, we, we had a fan question about this, but that's the one nice thing about Christmas University is. I just feel very comfortable that it's good for people. We made it. We own it. Did you guys ever think what would be good for our audience and can we make it? Or it was just this, it's investor treadmill time. There's really not even Oh, no, no, no. We, we certainly to... played around with things. You know, we did everything from merch to Patreons to uh, uh, private chats. We did some live events. Um, one of the, we were actually at the end of the, the end, right before we sold, we built a company called Backstage Courses, which was sort of masterclass or mm -hmm. monthly. Now you're seeing that, but it was effectively creating premium paid courses, but taught by YouTubers. So someone like Matt Pat teaching, you know, how to create, how to, how to market and how to grow your YouTube channel or oh, wow. Jared teaching writing, you know, how to Did write you guys for YouTube. Make that? Cause I feel like that would have crushed it. Uh, we made, uh, we made a lot of it. We made, we built out the, the brand, the site, we built out the trailers, we built out the coursework. We have some really cool, amazing, uh, video that we shot too. So it was, it was shot like masterclass. It was gorgeous. Wow. Um, but at the end of the day, it was something that, you know, Jared really didn't want to do himself. Like he didn't really want to make the wisecrack course, mm -hmm. uh, because it was, it, I don't know, it was philosophically again, it was like having to push and sell more things to our audience just didn't sure. feel right at the time. But also it, it coincided with the sale of the company. And so we just sort of decided not to pursue that path. It was very hard, you know, building courses for yourself, building one course is one thing, but then doing it mm -hmm. for tons of people. Yeah, yeah. That was super capital intensive and required minimum guarantees and talent ask, fees and stuff. Does does Matt Pat have a course on how to grow a YouTube channel? That he I does not, but we were talking to him about it. He was, he was, yeah, he does not. Uh, he, he is the master. He, he is, is the so different from master. me. He is so different. He is such a technical whiz and such a data diving person. Like I, I feel that I could learn so much from him because he's done it one more successfully than I have, but also so differently than yeah. I have. We're, we're like, we're intuition based. We're like, what do you think about this title? Well, like, yeah, I, always, <laughs> I always, I mean, yeah, for our, our dynamic, I always say I'm kind of the, the business mind. And I think I liken Charlie to the creative genius or the Einstein, like his shoes aren't tied, but his script is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So Matt Pat is, is growing from a completely different framework. Matt he's Pat got, is right a, in the middle. He is, he yeah, is the he's two. He's Jekyll and Hyde. He's, he's crazy. He's really brilliant with data he's brilliant with um with marketing he's he's he understands i think he can walk a really fine line of cr he's created formats and channels and a personality and a sensibility that allows him to both um do things that are technically and and you know uh measurably smart and great but also creative in a way that the audience comes along for the ride so yeah i remember one time this is an example matt looked, took a look at our channel he, he was a great partner to us by the way he helped us grow quite a lot so i i owe a lot to him but he how'd um, you guys get in touch 
We got in touch through, we were, we joined Defy Media at the time before they yep. had a huge yep. bankruptcy. Exploded. Uh, <laughs> but Defy Media was our, our MCN for a while or oh, wow. representatives or something. And yeah. uh, they were bringing us deals. But one of the, the things they offered was that Matt Pat would come give us a channel audit as part of that deal. So Matt Pat used to work at Defy Media. He was like mm. just a channel manager there. And he had all these great ideas. And no one listened to him. And he was like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to start my own channel. And he created yeah. the Game Theorists. Mm. So he's done fine. Uh, but anyway, he call. gave us an audit and he was like, oh, I see you guys released a video on uh, Mario's Mario goes to therapy or something. It was like we did yeah. a show called Pop Psych, I think, at the time. And he said, I recommend that you follow Google and YouTube's structured tagging system. And the way that they structure and tag Mario is as Super Mario. So just put Nintendo Super Mario. So we put Super Mario in the title right there in the meeting and the video went from like this sort of went from like a flat line to like a hockey stick and i was like holy crap like that's one thing wow and matt had him and stephanie his wife is also brilliant too they they have a consultancy and yeah so anyway can one learn these powers yeah Yeah. (laughs) they're brilliant they do do channel consulting yeah i have to hit them up but so i wanted to ask um that's that's an example and i uh, you've thrown it out there a couple times what were the big i don't know things that you generally did that that created that general hockey stick growth and i can't tell is one of them uh interacting and learning from other creators or was that is it is it testing a bunch of different formats was it raising your sponsor rate like i can think of our breakthroughs and one of them is absolutely not interacting with other creators you're like the fourth guy that i know on youtube <laughs> oh really <laughs> oh yeah um so i'm curious what what it's been for or was for you guys at wisecrack for us there were two pieces that ultimately changed the course for the channel growth the number one was uh was when we started to cover more popular topics so unfortunately mm-hmm. this was a double-edged sword right it was uh, on one side, it was great because it would introduce us to new character, to new to new audiences. It would, mm-hmm. you know, Google, you know, YouTube's the number two search engine in the world. So people searching for anything popular, including Star Wars, including Star Trek, including uh, Avengers, including Avengers, yeah, anything of that sort, like would bring us big audiences. So Rick and Morty became a huge anchor yeah. for us. So as that show became hugely popular and especially hugely popular on search. We were always early results. So popular content was number one. And number two for us was collaborations. And that was pe- collaborating with people like Vsauce. Um, we collabed with with Matt Pat. We collabed with uh, In a Nutshell. Like when we did major collaborations and part and like collaborated on what the content was that we would push to them and they'd push to us, that became our, our one of our major growth channels uh, wow. after our initial launches. So the, at first it was like, let's create series and shows that are really, that cut through the clutter that are super unique and interesting. And then those two pieces ultimately helped us. Never had interesting collaborating stick. with Charisma and Command. <laughs> oh. Very interesting. Very unusual. My email Very went unanswered. <laughs> Very surprising. Was it, was it, um, was it the collaboration itself like you just mentioned the video or was it the knowledge share that was most impactful? It was the it was the collaborations. I think okay. the knowledge share was interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Matt Pat helped us on on the knowledge side of things, like changing our programming, uh, hitting our regular cadence and schedule, how we did tagging, how we figured out uh, titling. Um, he helped us a lot at the time with end cards and end screens and annotations. 
to make sure that everything that we did helped keep someone in the wisecrack web as he called it so someone would come in watch yeah, yeah. A, a wisecrack video and then every single suggested video is more wisecrack so they're just yeah, watching yeah. you guys you guys crush that i swear to because you guys have a, a distinctive thumbnail look yeah and if you're on a wisecrack video it's like hello suggested wisecrack right, they just right. you guys you guys dominate that that was matt pat really trained us on how to do that right and how to we were just very lucky to work with him and, and to have yeah that I, I think he he appreciated the access to our channel because he could also see our analytics and see what was going on with us, mm-hmm. and we got great benefit. It was it was a win win for both of us. Cool. Uh, but then the collaborations, I think that that was like kind of the tactics. But then in terms of the collaborations, it was just a matter of Matt Pat would do a collab, and you know we helped him with writing. You know Jared actually helped him with writing scripts, helped him with supporting his content, and in exchange he'd help push audience to our channel. All of a sudden you get ten thousand new subscribers in a day because he's mentioned our channel. Like, things like that was like. Those big yeah. days were really helpful for growing our audience. Fascinating. Yeah, this is where we differ. And just for those, I'm sure some of our fans are curious. For us, I would say it was uh, separating your and my role totally for about a year and a half where it was like, hey, if it's a question, an email, a accounting problem, like talk to Ben. And if it's literally not writing a video, do not speak to Charlie. So I, I had the <laughs> no, most. For, sorry, that's for our internal team, not yeah, for yeah. our fans. Oh yeah, this was this was. Oh, for, and for everybody. Yeah, for yeah, everybody. I'm saying it's not just. Oh yeah, fan questions. It's like, hey, if you have a question about Charisma on Command, don't go to Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's going to be writing. It's the most important thing we do, and it's the only thing he does. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, so we had a like, and it was great. I mean, Charlie, See, that was our Charlie. biggest. That was our biggest jump. Was that was that year where it was just like I have one job and. I, it was funny because I'm writing about charisma and I'm speaking to no one. You know, I'm like right, I'm right. talking to no team members. On your webcam. <laughs> pulling, on, pulling on a wealth of information from the past. Went into a cave. Um, and then I would say there's, we could give a handful of other ones, but the other one was really gaining confidence in the product. I took some time. We created our Charisma University course and then I went back and just redid it. I thought it was good, but I was like, ah, there's pieces I don't like. And you, it You redid it for the... Third, it was V3, third or fourth right? time, yeah. Um, but it it just changed the tenor of my voice when I recommended it, and we have data that tracks the conversions, and wow. they leap, they leap. The difference between, hey guys, like I made this, and I think you should check it out. Between and guys, I love this course. I put my heart and soul into it. It's absolutely the Beautiful. fastest way to become. Yeah, confident. I think I think you'll really like it, and I hope you decide to check it out. It was that's awesome, just incredible, incredible, and uh, just if there is a lesson here for people listening, like. Tr- do whatever you can to invest in your product and be able to genuinely recommend it. It was such a huge thing for us. I think that's. I think there were certain products and channels that Jared loved, and when he really believed in it, you could hear it. It was just different. Yeah. It converted differently, and that's awesome. Like I think when we were uh, building that courses company, that courses business, Jared was like, "If I have to, if I'm if I'm pushing to a course on writing, I can guarantee you it'll be one of the best writing courses you can take. Like it'll, mm-hmm. I'll believe in it because it's the best that I can do, and that's mm-hmm. so cool to hear. Like that's, I think you see it with some of Tony Robbins' stuff before. Like he was sometimes a little like less confident, and now it's just oh, really? like he does one video, and it's like five hundred thousand people sign up in a second on these Facebook group, communities and groups because he believes in it. I mean, he really yeah. and it works, and you yeah, feel and confident about he, it. He's seen it. So, so let's you. I think intelligently didn't answer my original question about the exit and gave us some groundwork to get here. But now, <laughs> so now I'm curious. Um, was it tough at the point of the exit to remove yourself, or had you done a good job of building that apparatus? They didn't. Sounds like want you to be their indentured servant. And then tell us about like the sale, if whatever what you can about the multiple and how that is even discussed and and looked at in the digital space. Sure. Uh, well, I'll say, so again, I, I built the company, I think maybe like Ben did is that we structured it in a way where 
it's a system. It's a machine in a sense Got that it. I don't have to be there involved with every detail. I was super involved, very hands-on with the creative. I really cared a lot about the visual. Um, so I worked with really cool artists and worked on the logos and the graphics and the design. I mean, that was like my baby. But aside from that, I could even step away from that. I had designers. We had team. We had teams that could handle a lot of stuff. So I wasn't required. And I built that from the beginning for a number of reasons. Number one being like, if I get hit by a bus, I want this thing to keep going. I want the brand to live on behind me. So in a way, it was always going to be easy for me to be plucked out of this thing at any moment. It didn't really yeah. require me. It was a matter of resources. Like Someone had to get paid to do all the roles that I did, but it wasn't like I was that critical. Jared was more critical, especially as he really kind of was involved in the content, was the content, led that content team. So Jared hired a number two uh, who's been with us for years now, Alec, who now runs all content at Wisecrack. And he's unbelievable. <laughs> he's incredible. Yeah. So like, that was number one was making sure that we all had the sort of if we get hit by a bus, we all have some some backups. That was so helpful. That, is for that making the person? The, is that the person that makes the content now that Jared has left? Yeah, yeah. Alec is in charge. Alec, of Alec, yeah, Alec Opperman. So he runs the content team at Wisecrack, and he's managing all the scripts and all the 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 research team and making sure that the content is is what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like, what was the the big like come to Jesus, so to speak, of like I want to move on. I have a really good friend of mine uh, out in New York who just said, like, let me step back for one second. So first of all, our company was on the rise, doing great. We were growing like crazy, built the Facebook team and started to build other platform teams. And and then in I think it was 2018, Facebook changes its algorithm uh, because of Cambridge Analytica. And yeah. so all of our Facebook distribution overnight sort of died. I, mean, I think it was 99% of traffic turned off for all publishers. It wasn't just for us, wow. but that was a pretty big hit. And then you had Buzzfeed and Vice, the two biggest kahunas in the, in the, in the industry missed their numbers by a third each. And that also drove like these huge shockwaves of the industry. And then there were reports of the duopoly. So all the advertising dollars, the, you know, the whole vision and the whole pitch for what Wisecrack was going to do was, we're going to build huge audiences. All these advertising dollars are going to shift over to digital and we're going to be there with big audiences to be able mm -hmm. to, to, to capture some of that. Well, it turned out 90%, so nine out of whatever, $9 out of 10 were going straight to Facebook and to Google. They were going to the duopoly. They were going to the platforms instead of to the publishers. Uh -huh. So all that became like, hey, we're, we, were, we built our business predicated on advertising, not, not, not on courses or direct sales like you guys. All these elements, it was like consecutively all happened in early 2018. So we saw things were starting to crumble and stuff was a really miserable year of just trying to rush to profitability. That's where I had to fire a mm. lot of people. Yeah, That's yeah. where I had to make the, the company stand up on its own two feet. And I have a very good friend of mine in New York who said, Jacob, look, you've been at this thing for uh, whatever, approaching eight years now. It's not the, it's not, doesn't have the potential that it once did you know it's mm. it's just frankly that industry doesn't have that kind of trajectory clearly it's not the biggest guys can't do it so the smaller guys won't either uh you don't own it all it's not like you're a, a, an individual youtuber making a million dollars a year five million dollars yeah. a year like a lot of our peers did in the industry so that wasn't on the table we had the pressure of investors too saying where's our return yeah and so all those elements he just looked at me frankly and said i think jacob it's time for you to sell the company and give yourself a timeline. Like, can you sell this thing in the next, I don't know, is it six months or 12 months? If you do, great. If you don't, fine. You know, you shut it down and that's it. You move on. And I think there was like that that moment of, it. first of all, hearing that, I was like, 
oh my God, he's absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I was so oh, miserable wow. just every day just trying to think, what am I going to do? How's this thing going to work? How are we going to get it to where we wanted it to be? Um, it's profitable, but it's not hugely profitable. So it's not like it's the kind of thing that I want to bank. It, kind of like an, as an investor today, would you put your dollar on that chip? Like, would you bet on that on that horse? Again, right now, where you are, all things being equal. And I was like, no, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. it, it for me in my career. I was like, I put my time into it. I loved it. It's still doing great, but it wasn't like it was going to go from from zero to 60 again or from yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. 10 to 100 again. So um, him saying that to me was like, that's absolutely right. And where I stood in all that was I'm ready to move on. Like I've this was the first job that I had that I would loved where I could use every single skill that I had, you know, from design to production, to technical skills, to creative, to filmmaking, audience development, partnerships. I got to do everything, fundraising, you know, it was awesome. Uh, but I had I, done my time. I was ready to move on. So in my matrix of thinking through what I wanted, and I did use the Tony, Re Tony Robbins method here. It's called the RPM method. The, yeah, I don't know yeah. you've heard of that. <laughs> did you ever use that? I've, I, I've, what is it? The is rapid planning method. Rapid planning. That's from, uh, what's the program? Something Edge, Get the Edge. I've, I've listened to all of his 80s and I've 90s audio on YouTube. Programs. So, <laughs> but yeah, I got the, the YouTube copy. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's so... It was exactly what I needed to hear, but I needed to first start with painting that vision of like, what's that result that I want? And yeah. in the case of thinking that through is like, I really want a scenario where my investors make money. I want a scenario where our team gets to keep their jobs. I want a scenario where the, the brand and the channel continues. Like we're not letting our, our audience down by shutting yeah, this yeah. whole thing down. And I want to be able to step away. That was another big piece for me was like, I want to be able to leave. Yeah. Because I don't want to be indebted. I don't want to spend another five years here. I, I want to be able to be free, take some time off and think about what I want to do next. And, and is, so, a big, is a big financial windfall the unspoken fifth thing? Or you really were just like, if I can get investors money and do well by the audience and get out, that's a win. I think the windfall, look, it was a perk for sure. Like if I could craft the deal and find a uh, find a buyer who could make sure that I got money as well. That Because you know, after years of deferring sure. realistic salaries... And not having, like, again, a lot of our peers making millions of dollars as YouTubers, it was like, that would be nice to make some money here. Uh, it was certainly how, a where your mindset was at. Like, would you have sold for you get 50 grand? Or was it like, no, when I when I say sell, I really mean I also hmm. get a big payday. It's a good question. I think, I mean, we, I think there was an element of depending on, on what. So I think I went into a mindset of I'm in, okay, now I'm, I've decided that I want to sell. Mm -hmm. I've decided that this is what I want to do. Of course, I had to talk to Jared about this too. We walked through our scenarios and said, what are the scenarios here? Like we sell, we don't sell. And we kind of mapped out like, where does this play out? And is it interesting to us or not? Like, is that if we don't sell and we keep growing, are we going to be just the same forever? Like it's going to be the same size for a long time. Uh, so we mapped that out and thought that th stuff through. But uh, in thinking that stuff through, I think... Um, we came to a place where it was important to sell and in a way it was important to sell and we would get the best options. I would enter into a, into a mindset of I'm going to go down a process like 50% of my time now is going to be spent on, on drumming up business. And we weren't, we were big enough to get a, to get an investment banker, but no one was really interested to be honest. Yeah. Every investment banker we talked to was like not touching this industry, <laughs> not mm -hmm. touching the space, like digital publishing, especially in 2018 was just, it was a, it was a turd, you know, no one wanted to touch it. <laughs> so I basically went became, learned how to become an investment banker and drummed wow. up uh, opportunities and prospects, talked to every partner we'd ever talked to, talked to large media companies and went in and just hit the pavement 
and did a road show for about six months, speaking to everybody we could uh, and understanding who was real, who was not, who was looking to buy, who had money, who didn't. Um, And that was super interesting process. Very exhausting, very, very, very stressful. Hmm. But I went in with the exact thing I talked about, like, hey, I've been working on it for this long. We've got a really profitable, cool brand. Um, I think in the right hands, this could be much, much more interesting than than us just running it the way we have been. Our investors are ready for their return. Here's what we've got. Here are the assets. Here's the brand. Here's the channel. Here's the audience. And uh, and I think what was we were very lucky that those those options that floated to the top all meant that everyone would be happy for the most part. There were a couple of partners who tried to lowball us and it wasn't great, but <laughs> having a few partners who were saying, here's the price we're willing to pay. You know, when you look at the waterfall of all that, investors do well. Mm-hmm. They're willing to, to invest in our employees and keep them around. So mm. what, what yeah. you said, the right hands, uh, this is one of the questions that I've like, I can't imagine writer hands for charisma on command than Ben and I, which is to say the most valuable people to own this business are Ben and I, that's, that's how this thing grows. Yeah. Uh, there's no one else in the world that is going to come in and be like, hey, I'm Dave. And like Charlie stepped out for the next couple of years. But if your goal is to if your goal is to maximize dollar value, yeah. profit for the next 10 years. Yes. You struggle to imagine. Even if they're a giant media company, because they're just going to lose the trust in the followers, which is really where the equity in our brand. And it sounds like you yeah. had some some equity invested in the systems yeah. that is that is different. So I don't want that. And the format. So if you think and the format. Yes. And you would show let us know because. So. So what is the what were the right hands? What did they have when they're like, look, what I got plus what you got is mer- is worth more than just what you got? Yeah. Each partner was different. Like, I mean, a lot of. So, so it depends on the brand. Like I've got a great friend of mine who runs Donut Media. Uh, I don't know if you know Donut. They're a big car yeah. brand on YouTube and everywhere, podcasting, yeah. Facebook, et cetera. And Matt is brilliant. The brand that they've built is incredible. This is getting back to the question about like, if I, if I put a dollar on a, on a horse, like, is this the right one? Well, with Wisecrack, like we reached a lot of potential. We reached a lot of the philosophy lovers, a lot of the movie and film yeah, lovers, yeah. and we we captured what we thought we could. Uh, but in the car culture world, like they're on a tear. They continue to grow at ludicrous rates. They're selling so much merch. They've got a passionate fan base that is willing to pay money and loves mm-hmm. cars and it's passionate. And it's the right category. And But they built it all as a brand. Like Wisecrack, it's a brand. To, there's Donut yeah. Media. There's a few hosts people love, but really it's a brand. And so that could be in anyone's hands. Yeah. So if that's in the hands of Car and Driver Magazine and they need a digital property, Maybe that just the resources, the reach, the advertising relationships can be unbelievable for them. It can take them to a whole other level. Um, For Wisecrack, it was a matter of like, we want to make sure that we're at least in like-minded hands, people who like pop culture, who understand YouTube and media. And so we got down to probably, we whittled it down to probably two or three of the top options when we're looking to sell. Uh, We had some terms that we were very, very focused on uh, in terms of how it would pan out, including me being able to leave and the difference of earnout versus being able to buy the assets or buying the the, the property outright. Um, and and the partner that we landed on, so Omnia Media was a gaming media brand and our main partner there, Greg Campanis, I mean, Greg is loves gaming, loves pop culture and media content, loves building and creating formats and brands. Like at the end of the day, it was like a marriage. Like he was a great partner. He was someone who mm-hmm. just believed in the brand, knew what we could do, didn't want to change a thing either, which was like, hey, Jacob's going to take off. We'll try to keep him, but he's going to take off. But Jared, you can keep doing your thing. Alec, you can stick around. The team can stick around. Like, I don't want to 
mess with that formula at all. And for us, they, that was cool. Because He's just like, I want to do more, it sounds like. He's yeah. like, I'm going to do what you guys are doing again and again for years to come and just do it maybe bigger, maybe more of it. Right. Did they like, demand we've got more audience. We can give you, take you to television. We've got a media uh, TV production business, blah, blah, cool. blah. And so it just, it was just like the right, it allowed us to have the infrastructure and, uh, and the team to be able to do a lot more got than it. we could have done on our own, you know, because cool. we have to did, rebuild all that. Did they demand that Jacob say? No, no, that was part of, that was kind of part of my terms. Like when they said part Wait, of the Jacob deal. Jacob or Alec? Well, oh, sorry, oh, Jared, Jared, you mean? Jake, or sorry, Jared. 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 Oh, yeah, sorry, Jared. Sorry. Yes, yes, Jared, yes. Jared left af- much longer after you, right? Yeah. So, there's so I'm no, just curious it, if that was because of his choice or because of the buyer. I'm just curious what the behind the scenes was on that. Yeah, no, sure. So like uh, for for me early on, I again, I in the whole process, I said, look, I want to I want to step away. So if it may, if it takes, you know, if I can leave in a month or two years or whatever it takes, that's fine. But I, I ultimately want to take off. Hmm. Um, Jared actually did want to stay. He, he really did okay. want to stick around. And Alec wanted to stick around. And uh, our sales guy, Alex, at the time wanted to stick around. So everyone on the team wanted to stick around. And I think uh, the three of them were were contingencies on the deal. Like they said, we really... We, we don't need, I mean, they're not indentured, like they're not, not going to have to stay forever, but <laughs> we want to have at least employment contracts in place with yeah, yeah. them that are agreed to with terms. Uh, mm-hmm. And so a lot of that was structured. I, I can't get into details because it's all, it is confidential, sure. but sure, it's, sure. it was structured basically in a way. Yeah. They wanted Jared to stick around because they, they didn't want, they wanted him to stick around and he did want to stick around. But after a while, I think Jared was there for about a year, maybe a year and a half after the sale. And ultimately out of his own accord just said he wanted a break. He was just done with 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 this he had sort of said like look, i spent like eight or nine years of my life just pouring everything out of my brain here and i'm done like and it's also stressful i need to refill my brain a bit that's how i feel it's like i i yeah. need to go live i need to go struggle i need to go have a problem not know what to do solve it and then talk about it as opposed to pull on the reservoir of problems that i've solved in the past yeah that's, that's a great here. point because it's it is I, we're, i'm sure you're seeing this more and more if you're not talking to a lot of youtubers maybe not but a lot of youtubers are going crazy i mean people are it's just so stressful the burnout is insane there's no stopping ever it is very stressful it's very very difficult and especially as a creator i think it's one thing as the business people because we're used to that sort of that sort of the marching of the process but it's not it's not personal it's not like we're sucking out any really any more out of our personal brain out of our like emotions and our brain and our and our content our substance to be able to make stuff whereas on the creative side that's how it works. Like people make a TV show and they go on break for the next nine months or they make a, a movie and they take a break for the next five years. Like to create that constantly on this sort of timeline, YouTube is very brutal. It's very, mm-hmm. very brutal. And I, I should say that Ben has never, ever pushed me. Like not once. Stepped in to help. Super helpful. Uh, there have been, and I think part of the reason that I feel like I can keep going is because I've been allowed breaks, vacations. You know what I mean? Like, hey, take not like take a month and come back, like take as long as you want and come back when you want. And and so I feel. How are you about doing that, though? Are you pretty good about being able to take the break? Or are you kind of workaholic? Another thing is I stepped in to make videos. So it's not like the sky was falling. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like it was like, hey, Charlie, take as much time as you need. Yeah. I'm a magnanimous guy, but also I'm going to let views and, and subscribers and mm-hmm. revenue fall. And I'll just let you know once a month, hey, we're down 20%. We're down 30%. Now we're down 50%. Do you want to come back yet? Right. Um, it wasn't like that. I just made videos so mm-hmm. that we could like. And we've slowed our going. cadence. We're, you know, one, three a month or two a month as opposed to four a month, which is to me fine. Oh, for sure. But it was you making, only yeah, you yeah. making the videos 
for a long period of time. And then mm -hmm. I came in for a handful of months and you did no videos. And then you came back and then did all the videos. And now we alternate in a way where it's like, hey, just do one or two. Whoever's fresh will take this month. one. Yeah. And so we're, that's that's been how we've, I don't think prevented burnout, but prolonged the inevitable. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. No, that's great. It's try to try tag to team. Pass the pass the hot potato. I think maybe I, I never felt confident enough stepping in to make wisecrack content. Yeah. It was too hard for me. It wasn't my thing. Like I don't think sure. it's content that I understood well enough to make on my own. I mean, I was mm -hmm. I was the CEO. I could run a lot of the processes and I could get the right team in place. And Alec was a huge help there. But it wasn't the kind of thing where I felt comfortable enough for me to step in. Like we did get you know Jared did go on vacation and I had to really push. I mean, I think for years I had to like like legitimately convince him or sometimes force him to take vacation to yeah. prevent what I could foresee would become burnout. Mm. Um, but I never felt confident enough to really step in and make videos myself. So that how was did a you guys, How did you guys find Alec? Because Alec, Alec now Alec makes all your videos, a, right? On a Reddit, yeah, we found him on a Reddit AMA. He, he uh, asked us questions on an AMA on Reddit for our 8-Bit Philosophy show. He was a huge philosophy nerd. He ran a philosophy website and just... You know, asked us like, "Hey, if you ever need help, please, or maybe how do you find your writers or something like that? Some kind of question like that." And he said, "Oh, we or we're always looking for talent. You know, feel free yeah, to email yeah. us here." And he emailed us after afterward. He became our social media manager or sort of social media consultant for a while, doing some of our Facebook posting. And then little by little, like we let him in, we let him write yeah. some scripts with Jared. I think he wrote his first script, and it was like, yeah, Jared and him were on the phone every day, all day, like on Zooms, mm. all day long, all the time. I mean, they were just lock and step so in some ways it was like they really formed a, a partnership where alec could Got take it. over very easily so he did but he didn't come in writing jared level scripts it sounds like he came in he started could. working on stuff so oh, really? I, I actually heard differently and i'm curious if this is correct uh he had a he had his own website right he was writing he was, he was doing this he was always writing yeah he was always writing but he wasn't writing scripts he was writing websites like he sure. was writing uh philosophy articles and mm -hmm. he had he's he's a, a writer he's a brilliant writer yeah um but he i think we our first project was we gave him um he had to write a script for 8-bit philosophy and i think he worked with our philosophy scholar so the way we worked is that every show had a set of academics that we'd work with like phds or scholars within oh, philosophy wow. or literature or history and That's then awesome. they would get paired up with a, with a filmmaker or a comedy writer to create our script that then we would go produce and so i can't remember if alec worked with our scholar mia or if he did it on his own but he wrote he wrote in the in the voice of that 8-bit philosophy show, which is a British narrator and very, you know, very tight. It's like two to three minutes long. Um, but he did great. And then eventually he started to write in the voice of Jared and now in the voice of Michael Burns. We have a, a, a host named Dr. Burns, who's now our new host. But anyway, uh, he yeah, he totally picked it up and got it. He was a writer who had the he already had the skill set, but then he had to learn how to write for video. And what now I he's a pro. For, for people listening, uh, one of the things that I see, and I'm curious if this matches your experience, is that the some of the better people that have, have done really well and surprised us, I think of our video editor, we're like doing it before and we're like, can I help? As opposed to what I get a lot of and I think is very good intention, but ultimately unhelpful and doesn't work is I'll come in, I'll sweep floors, I'll do anything, you know, please just please just train me and I'd love to be a writer. So that is in, in stark contrast to our video editor who's like, hey, I, I edit videos for fun. I edited yours for fun. What do you think of my edits? And I was like, yeah, that's he's been great. our editor for five yeah. years. I'm yeah. already yeah. a better yes. editor than you are. Yes. Because you were doing your own editing. Uh, just have 
your equivalent of Alex's website, which it might not be getting a ton of traffic, like where are you doing your art? Even if it doesn't have a huge audience right now, where are you honing your craft that I can go and see? And also that you're you're actually honing the craft. So when I bring you in, you're not just uh, stage one. Yeah. Hi, I'm eager to learn. I'm That's eager to so learn. it's a great point because yeah, like I said, we we were recruiting all the time, or at least have we're open to getting great talent all the time. And that stuff, you know, it's, you're right. Like if, if someone said, I'm, I'm fresh out of school, I haven't have no experience, but I'm happy to do anything. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter. It wasn't that we were, it wasn't malicious. We just didn't know what to do with that. Like it was mm-hmm. just very, we're so busy that you, I think you rush to put someone in a box to think, okay, they're an editor. Great. I need editing help yeah. now. Great. Yep. As an example, I, I, after I left Wisecrack, I'm looking to move to the UK. I want to move uh, back to, to London. I want to live out there again. And I started interviewing with companies just to get practice. I started interviewing with Salesforce.com and Zenefits and uh, I don't know, all these different brands. And as I'm talking to these people, I'm, I'm like, they're looking at my resume. And they're like, so uh, you're a CEO? What, what, do you, <laughs> what can you do here? And I'm like, so yeah, they yeah. have no idea what to do with me is my point. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So similarly, like if you don't have the you know, yeah. if you don't, if you don't say you have an expertise or a skill set, it's hard. So as a writer, Alec was great to say, oh, he's a writer. Interesting. I have a, so one of the threads that I've heard you talk about is kind of the corrupting influence of, of business and necessity to earn in artistic endeavor. And I'm curious now how you're thinking about that going forward. You've got some nest egg. Uh, what, what do you think about that? I see that in my own life and I try very hard to make clear what my actual need is like if the business Mm. shrinks that's not a bad thing like here's my need here's what my employees need it is lower within the business and even if it goes down that doesn't mean i need to compromise on 
the enjoyment of the artistic endeavor and creation. And I just did a dud video on Cobra Kai, but fuck it. I enjoyed watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and that's not a fail. That's well, no, not yeah, a just fail. Just to be clear, I think that's great. And I actually think that's better than no video. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the audience that does like us enough to watch anything got a great video. So I consider Cobra mm -hmm. Kai a win. Me too. And and so that's that's one of the, I guess what I'm I saying is that- I told you that yet, I guess so. I, uh, I, I considered it a win. 10 yeah. of 10, you know how YouTube has those? This yeah. is a solid 10 of 10 of our last video. <laughs> but we had done, we tried to do react videos just because we were playing around with format. You know, sure, 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 sure. A lot. And I never really was proud yeah. when we did that. I was, I was like, uh, I hope people like this. I don't mm -hmm. know that it's that helpful. And this did worse than all the recent react videos, but I'm much happier to publish it. You know what yes. I mean? Yes, it I feels authentic to you guys. And the process that went into it, I was like, I, I think it's good. So I'm curious how you think of that, because I'm sure that you guys, I don't know if it was the Avengers video, but you're like, look, this one has the topic and the title and the content. I was a tag along. It was just so I could put this thumbnail, this title up at the time of the Avengers right, release right. or whatever. So how are you thinking about business and art and what you want to do next? It has have How has your thinking changed, evolved? What's, what's up next? I did a lot of thinking. So in the moment, like I think one thing that was hard at Wisecrack was once we were in the motion of it and in the emotion of it, it was just hard to, 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 to kind of make those kinds of calls to say, hey, this is okay. Uh, this is an okay thing for us to do. And this is not like, it's nice that you guys have the reflection and be able to say, that was a great video. I don't care if it didn't do well. And sometimes mm -hmm. we'd have to go into certain projects. We definitely did a pilot season every year or so. We'd do like a, a we'd go create five or six new shows. We'd tell the audience these are going to be pilots. You're going to see new shit. Mm. Don't don't freak out. Um, you know, try to support them if you can. So the algorithm the algorithm doesn't freak out. Um, but we knew going into that we are here. This is our chance and our time to be really creative and expressive and see what happens and see what comes out of that. Um, and if the views are bad, fine, we're okay with that. But it was. We, we could do that when it was contained in that way. It was harder to do that when it was like a day-to-day -day video when we just had a really fresh idea and we we didn't know how to execute it relative to the to the requests and the, and the requirements of having advertisers. The way that we did end up landing on this is what we called candy versus vegetables. <laughs> and uh, this, was, this came out of us being an educational channel. Sure. So we said there's going to be some content we make that's going to be just candy. It's going to help us grow. It's going to help us get the audience and the views that we need. It's going to help the algorithm think that we're a good channel. And there's going to be vegetables. It's the, it's like when we want to cover like eyes wide shut and we want to cover like this really esoteric, you know, yeah. Korean cinema that no one's going to know about, but we really are interested in. Sure. That's our vegetables. And so the ratio we landed on was 75% candy and 25% vegetables. It would not be a very healthy diet. <laughs> it's a very balanced diet. I did not recommend a yeah, very balanced diet of just candy. Do well, not. you could reverse it. You could say that the 75% is your vegetables. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to eat them, but they're good for the business. Yeah. And then the 25% of eyes wide shut, that's your candy. Now all of a sudden it's a healthy diet. <laughs> That's a good point. Very good Food point. Food pyramid. Right? You were audience-centric, but... <laughs> Look at you, Mark, Mr. Marketer. More, more me-centric. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I'm the Got it. master. So, but going forward, is that... Uh, I, I imagine that you don't want that diet anymore. That you don't want to have to do things for money especially with a bit of a nest egg from the sale. So like, what are you looking at? Are you, are you going to, you mentioned that you're into Buddhism. Are you going to go off and meditate? Like what's, what's up next? Yeah, I've been, well, I've been practicing for six or seven years now. So I'm, the, the Buddhism side is, is, that's a whole other very, very mm -hmm. cool and very rewarding practice. I, I love it. Um, mm -hmm. And interesting ethics. And it's really fascinating. Um, I spent the last year uh, consulting for money, but trying to figure out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I read a book uh, called Designing Your Life. It's a bit cheesy book, but it 
did a very interesting job of understanding where my energy gets drawn, for, like where I where I where my energy is drawn from and where I get energy and where I'm in mm. moments of flow and not. That was an interesting exercise, but it also helps you map out versions of your life. I think like Buddhism, you you want to be able to sit comfortably with the totality of what's going on. And that can mean when things don't really go your way or they do. And in this life planning exercise from that book, it was similar in that it was like, here, you're going to come up with five different versions of what your life can become over the next five years. And none of them is right or wrong or better or not. They're just truly paths that can happen. And um, you get comfortable with that, not thinking like, I have to pick the one version that's going to make my life happen or not happen. So in that exercise, I started to brainstorm and think through these different pieces. I, a lot of it, to be honest, in that reflection, it wasn't, I didn't feel like ethically I had I had compromised myself much. Like I, to be honest, like advertising supports media is sort of a given. Like I don't look at that with dread and and, and anger. It's just how it goes. I mean, we used to watch TV. We used to watch whatever, Nickelodeon or, or mm-hmm. MTV and ads would play. And that's just how it goes. I'm, I'm not upset by that. Um, so but hard th- for Jared, but not hard for you. Yeah, I think it's harder for Jared because I think it's it's more, it's upsetting. You know, I think a creator, I think for Jared, he, he'd much rather create a really cool show, like create South Park and put it on a network and let the network deal with the, mm. the advertising. Yep. But like at right. the end of the day, the product is not compromised. Totally. And yeah. I totally get that. And, um, yeah, I'd rather make non-compromised products. It's not to say that I, that I, that I don't want to, but it didn't come up a lot when I was thinking through my life. I, I look at it a lot as like, I have skills that I want to either develop or use and practice. So for me, it is a lot of the creative skills, but I'm, I'm just not, I don't think I'm as, um, you know, sort of triggered by. Mm-hmm. The, the reality of some of the business side of things doesn't really bother me as much but i really sure. wanted to work on something that was just gonna gonna excite me i wanted to learn a lot like in this next chapter of my career i i'm 34 i have maybe two or three swings left in my career <laughs> i want to learn as much as i can i want to work with really cool interesting open-minded kind respectful people um so that was those are the kinds of things that were going through my mind more so than how will I not compromise my art? Like, I think, I think, I guess maybe one way of thinking about it for me was art was, was going to be in some ways, uh, compartmentalized. It was going to be, there's me playing on my guitar, writing songs, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to music, writing short stories like that stuff. I don't want to monetize that. I don't want that to become my, 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 my income or, or, or if it does, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to do that at a time maybe where I don't need the money as much. That's because exactly how I feel about this podcast. I want it to support Justin. <laughs> I want it to support itself. As soon as I take money from it, it's going to become less fun. Right. So right. like, let me put that off. Even even if it does well, I'll just put it in an escrow. And if it, there's Ooh, just, down months. Let's just put all the excess profit into Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. in 10 years. <laughs> we'll just split it just, three ways. Just not look at Justin it. Justin can retire a millionaire or it's all gone. <laughs> it's all gone. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie. But I... I I, and I, I also, you know, I love playing guitar. I'm not particularly good at it, but I, I can't imagine if, man, if you took that from me and 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 had that corrupting influence of of needing to earn or needing to produce, it's it's so nice to have that separate. So I, I do understand why you would want to just be like, nope, my art, my art is here, my income is here, and never the twain it's, shall meet. It's just hard, but I think like um, maybe the three of us have we're we're lucky in a way. Like for some <laughs> of my friends who are true artists, and, and I, I put Jared in that camp. Um, it's just. Like, it's not like there's, there's no other option, like being an artist and being creative and making 
great art. That is just how it's going to go down. Like that's what my life is. That's what it's going to be. And so separating and compartmentalizing that work from making a living is harder, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like that is that is my skill and that's what I want to do and that's who I am and that's it. And so it LA is a cool this. place for that, but it's a whole town where everyone's making money creating and that's awesome. That's so cool. But it's but it's rare. Um, but I, I yeah, like I, I did paint in that in that exercise of that book. I painted visions and versions of my life that were me as as an artist making money from that. And, you know, it could be writing short stories or doing podcasts that are narrative and telling stories that yeah. way or music. And they're very cool. I like them all, but something about them just didn't rub me the right way. It just didn't feel like the path I wanted to take. Got it. So are you open at this point to being the founder of a new startup, the first hire of a startup that's not yours where you get some equity or an employee on a salary? Are those all things you're considering? Yeah. Yeah. I just took a full-time job. So I just joined a company full-time. So I joined Hi-Ho, the the brand that I was telling you about. Uh, I joined them full-time. I was was thinking... yeah, I think like that was maybe took some so like a, like maybe that was that took some realization of like would I be okay not being the CEO and not being yeah. the founder of something new? They're a pre-revenue startup though, right? So they I are. assume you're getting some ownership even as an yeah. employee. Yep, yep. Okay. It's a so it's this was an interesting exercise that was a friend of mine, uh, Lindsay, who works at Universal Music. We were uh, having lunch and and I was telling her I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm going to spend I'm going to consult and figure it out. And she said if you are open to working for somebody, and I said, I definitely am. I'm like, to me, the idea of not being the CEO is like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. Um, maybe I'll get, I think I will start another company eventually, but in terms of running the whole thing, I'm excited not to be doing that right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in the headspace to do it. But um, she said, think about like who are the three or four people that you would love to work for, like dream people. And uh, I came up with that list, and one of them was the CEO that I'm now working for. So Greg Spiridelis, he he created Jib Jab back in '99. If you remember, Jib Jab was like sure. the political cartoons, and then starring you, having your head on on different cartoons oh, little, for greeting Christmas cards. Elf card where you're dancing around. Oh yeah, you know Jib Jab. Yeah, you got yeah. Jib Jab. Yeah, he created uh, Elf Yourself, which was with Office Max. So they created that there for Office go. Max for like you can become an elf. Then he created a show called Storybots with his brother, uh, which is on Netflix, which is like a it's like a Sesame Street for kids. It's like Sesame Street for the new generation. And Netflix just acquired and bought that, including all the properties and the characters. Um, so Greg is like, he was an advisor to Wisecrack. He's someone I've admired forever. I mean, he was an advisor to Wise to, to Bizarre Voice, the company before. A kind, amazing, creative soul. And so like when he told me what he was building, it just all clicked. Like looking back at that book that I had worked through, that Designing Your Life book, it was like, I want to learn a ton and I do want to get back into app development. I want to get into more consumer technology. I want to learn tech. I want to be uh, connecting with tons of creators and interesting people. I want to work with a great team. Like it checked every single box and hopefully yeah. this job will also take me back to London. The idea being that I help expand the the, the product into the UK and into, into Europe and, the, and Asia. So it just like it checked every box that I wanted. So I'm, I'm thrilled, but yeah. it took like mm-hmm. a year of reflecting on like, just like a postmortem of all that, you know, that those, those eight or nine years of wisecrack and that whole journey what were th- to get what there. Were the, uh, so you had some yes checks. Like I want this, I want this. What were the, um, mistakes you did your postmortem? You're coming through the other side. Yeah. People watching now, I imagine have not entered and exited. <laughs> uh, what any, any like words of wisdom, even Ben and I who haven't, who haven't yeah, things exited. you wish you'd done differently or yeah. advice for people who are becoming entrepreneurs or who are early stage entrepreneurs? Man, that is a hard question. I know uh, it's, it's a broad one. It's big. 
Hmm. I, I hear one that I don't, and I guess we mentioned it, but, and again, tell me if you, if you don't agree, but it sounds like you, you with, because you didn't have like this clear vision and Ben asked earlier, like, what did you want from it? It, it became about survival on, on sometimes a day-to-day yeah. basis. And sometimes you made decisions that uh, signed you up for long-term consequences that you didn't want. Like I have this, you know, these investors that, yeah, they're great, but like, they're my boss now. And, you know, and mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. so, so perhaps I'm just suggesting without, without that clarity of like, what is this business for beyond putting food on my table day to day? Uh, it's just easy to get sucked into what, what keeps me alive today. And I don't, and I don't know if that. No, that's exactly right. As I was thinking about this conversation today, I think I was trying to think through what would be the words of wisdom. And I think, uh, so much of what happened once we're on a roll, like once we've raised money, once we even have traction, once we decide that we're going to do this thing, uh, so much at that point just becomes about momentum and and gravity doing its work, right? Yeah. Like it's at that point you become, uh, at least maybe because of my lack of experience, I became a slave to the sort of the, the momentum and the pressure sure. and and the decisions that we made determined the outcome and determined our course for a long time. And so, of course, we were adjusting along the way, but so much of it was based on what we had to do. And I do wish that Jared and I had spent more time maybe thinking through these things philosophically and and making those hard calls early on about what we wanted it to become, where we wanted mm-hmm. to grow, you know, if things forced us to go down a path of having to make compromises or having to, to, to do advertising, like how would we react? It would be really cool to kind of preempt a lot of that. But we would have, I would have, I would have looked, we both of us would have felt ridiculous planning <laughs> for stuff like that when we, when Jared had $500 left in the bank, sure. like it, it would have been ridiculous. Like it was so it's hard to say. And at, and I started um, Wisecrack, I think when I was, gosh, I was 26 or something when I moved over here. So it's just a different time. We were younger. We were, Jared was even younger than I think 24 or something. So we were young and I'm so happy we did it. I'm so happy we did it because had we thought too much about it, the caveat on that, the other side of that is <laughs> you just, you have an action, you know, so, so there's inertia and you just don't do anything. And oh, so I think the mantra for Jared and I was just make stuff, just make shit. And you'll figure out the rest. And we did that. Um, so it's hard to say, right? Like looking back, it's always like pros and cons. I, I would say, I think the question that Bennett asked me beforehand is like, who, what type of person should go make a YouTube channel? And what kind of personality does it take? And I think going in with open eyes about what that really requires is important. It, was it cool for sponsors to send us free stuff? As an example, I have my mother loves watching like makeup YouTube. And she's like, God, these people get all this free crap. That's so cool. I'm like, okay, yes, it is cool to get whatever free headphones and free whatever gifts or whatever sponsor stuff. That is one tiny portion of the responsibility that comes with it. Once you launch the YouTube channel, once you're on a roll, the the truth is that you have to upload pretty much one to three times per week, at least every week for the rest of your life, for the rest of the life of the channel, if you want it to be successful. And that is, uh, that's a big burden, you know, and that's, there, there are no weeks off. There are no vacations. Um, and so, so you have to be kind of going with open mind and open eyes, knowing that's going to be the requirement. Hmm. So, you know, I, 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 know. I try to be the outlier there and, and we still have done one a week, but I, I looked at people like CGP gray and yeah. people. So I In totally agree with you. No, a few. If you. If you look at the line of success, you're right. Like the average is exactly what you described. Like all the big guys, they have to upload daily and and they're on a grind and burnout is 99%. But I've always been interested in the one guy who breaks the rule. And yeah. I think that there is potential for that out there. The CGP grays, the 
Um, not that we're totally that, but you know, we take time yeah. off. How, yes. how did we? How did CGP get his audience? Because I think for us, we grew making videos once a week mm -hmm. and then altered that once we had an audience and momentum. And Our nerd city. I mean, these people, what they do is, and I'm not recommending it to everyone, but there are, what you're saying is like, look, if you want to be successful on YouTube, the playbook is what you're saying. Do, you know, crank videos out that are popular at least one a week and probably two or three times a week. No denying that it that It depends is. on how many mouths there are to feed too, right? Like yeah. when we look at Vsauce, they are more of a company and they've, they've also launched mm -hmm. a product. They've launched a, a, a box service, mm -hmm. right? It's like a monthly box, like a loot crate type thing. And that helps support them. Uh, CGP Gray is just one guy in London, you know, and he's, yeah. but, but I don't know. Yeah. His audience is incredibly fanatical and, and incredibly loyal. Mm -hmm. And there are well, some how, exceptions how like it? that. He makes great stuff. No, sorry. I'm just saying, how did he get the first 10,000 people to see it? We have to have him on the podcast. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know Do you know, you know the answer to like that question? Because that's the hard part. Like once yeah. you have an audience, Logan Paul can literally take eight months off to train for a fight, come back and get more views on his video than mm -hmm. any video we do. Mm -hmm. um, but post it every single day for an extended period of time to build the sure, audience. Sure. So I'm just curious, how do these people who only post once a month get started? started. It's get a good started. question. Yeah, I'm not sure. After your first million subscribers? Yeah. I think it's different. It yeah. And, and I'm, I'm close with, uh, not close, but I know Derek from Veritasium, for example, he's got like sure. 68 million views, 65 yeah. million views on his, the, those balls on the lake video. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that he, one was everywhere for a week. Yes. Or so. <laughs> and he, but he came back with a vengeance. You know, he took some time off and his videos, again, they're, they're, they're much more in depth. It takes a long time to kind of create them. Mark that Robert, happens occasionally. I, I, yeah. yeah. Mark Rober. I feel like you're it really with, if it's something that's a big spectacle, mm -hmm. some channels do really well, but it, again, even, okay, let's just say Mark Rober's not uploading every day. That guy has no time. Like Mark no, is he's so amazingly busy because <laughs> each video is un incredible and he's developed yeah. a course and he's doing Facebook programming and you know, he's down to maybe his last 15 minutes a week. That's, that's free. So the point is just like when you go in, you're kind of all in, it's hard to make it kind of a just a fun hobby like youtube mm. is is a lot if, you, if you're gonna make it your career it's sure. tough cool any um yeah i have i have another question so buddhism tell me about that i'm very interested conceptually but i have no practices and i'm curious as a as a someone who's self-professed buddhist do does that mean that you go to a buddhist religious center does it mean you have a practice at home that's sacred to you that you do for an hour every day and nothing comes before it does it mean that you're like me you've read books and find it interesting and agree with it but it's not necessarily a huge part of your day-to-day -day. what does it mean to you and what it, what are your practices thanks uh yeah i i don't know if i consider myself a buddhist i don't know i mean I, i'm i'm studying and practicing buddhism but I don't know. I don't know what it takes to kind of cross the chasm there. But <laughs> yeah, me I, either. I don't know. That's why, I, that's why I'm asking you. But um, I started... So right now my practice is I, I meditate every day, 30 minutes a day. I'm now training with a, a, a Zen teacher, a Zen senior, dar, Zen, a senior Zen Dharma teacher uh, from the Dharma Zen Center here in LA. Um, Tim Callahan, who's, who's great and, and has been practicing for 35 years. Uh, what does I, that training I, look like? Do you guys sit and meditate one -on -one together at, or he? Yeah. At this point, it's one-on-one -on -one Zooms. So this is new for me. It's fairly new, but we meet once a week. We we sit together. So we meditate and practice together. And then we, we it's koan training. So Zen is uh, what's called kungan or koan training, which is uh, a lot of the training yeah. is done through 
through questioning, through very interesting mm -hmm. questions, sort of a sort of a dialogue that happens mm -hmm. where the student or the pupil is asked a question and prompted a question, and it retrains the way that you answer questions. That's that's sort of foundational and built off of a lot of the practices and, and the um, the wisdom of the training, the wisdom of the, could, of the could teachings. Could you give an example of a koan for, for us? Yeah. So an example of a koan is, uh, what was your face before your mother mm -hmm. was born? Yeah. And, and and learning how to answer that and how to hold a question like that, that where there is no duality, where there is no real solid answer. Or mm -hmm. where were you before your mother was born? Mm -hmm. These are questions that are bigger. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're impossible to answer yet. You have to hold them again with that totality. Um, and what, what was your face before your mother was born? Or do, or do you have, I think, I won't, I think get, I won't share them only because it, it doesn't, it kind of, it kind of breaks the whole, the okay. whole, uh, training, but, but in a sense, do I don't know. That's the end. I don't know. Do, do you respond with language or is the point to have that epiphany moment where you see, become the witness, realize that you are like, what, what? Is, is it possible that the right answer to a koan is words or is it is that just exclude you from ever getting the koan quote unquote? No, there, right? are, there are some koans I think. <laughs> so I'm still fairly new at this. Right? So yeah. I, I've been practicing kind of Vipassana training and a very different mm -hmm. form of Buddhism before. Um, but yes, yeah, some koans can and should be answered with words. Some are not okay. answered with words. Interesting. So uh, good question. Like I'm, I'm, I'm learning all this. To me, this is I entered uh, Buddhism or entered meditation through through just sort of um, sitting insight LA is a group here in LA that just does uh, mindfulness based stress reduction. So it's more, mm -hmm. more just mindfulness and things like the apps, like calm and headspace, they're sort of decoupled from the religion. So if you think yeah. of like a stool meditation is one leg along yeah. with the wisdom and the ethics, but it's just separated, it's decoupled. And so you mm -hmm. just focus on meditation. So I did that for many years. And um, read a few books here and there, like Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind is a really cool introductory book. I read a lot of Jack Cornfield books about meditation and Buddhism. Um, and then eventually I got more and more interested in what else is there. And, and I'm part of a, a group called Silver Lake Meditation uh, here in LA, which is Zoom, also a Zoom group. And Tim was an occasional guest teacher. Tim was my, my Zen teacher. And I just asked him, you know, would he mind doing one-on-one -on -one training? Mm. That sort of seems to be the the sort of the pattern mm. anyone takes is to move and graduate toward one-on-one -on -one training with a teacher. Mm. And so uh, it it's been very interesting. Is it fair to say you're adding the other two legs now? So you got the meditation leg. Sounds like pretty comfortably relative to the general population. Sure. So now, now you're adding the other legs to make it more of a Buddhist practice instead yeah. of just a mindfulness practice yeah i think that's right like wisdom okay. the wisdom trainings and the wisdom talks you can find so many of those on insight timer on youtube on kind of anywhere so you, you find a teacher you love like pema chodron is someone that i love jack cornfield you you can listen to their talks you can read you know chogam trumpa you can read these books about wisdom and then the ethics are also always introduced like as you learn about buddhism you're just introduced to some of the basic ethics of the religion um, or if you even call it religion, it's like a philosophy in a sense, but you start to connect them all and they all start to come together where all of a sudden they're integrated in a way that, that I find much more, um, fulfilling. I mean, the, 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 the practice of sitting and, and sitting mindfully and, and seeing and observing and understanding your thoughts when they're combined with the work that you've put into, you understand the wisdom of the religion or the wisdom of the teachings. And you now have this ethical framework then it becomes this really interesting combination and synergy of, you know, you, you learn how to sit, you learn how to practice with your thoughts, but then all of a sudden in, in life, moment by moment, as things come up, you know, and you feel confident 
in how you behave. Mm. And, you know, and there's a interesting, I think they're called the the primaries, which are the five things that you sort of chant to yourself or say to yourself every morning. I'm of the nature to grow old. I'm of the nature to grow sick. I'm of the nature to die. Mm. Everything that I love will change or go away. My only true possessions are my actions. And so you learn to sort of sit with this idea that every moment by moment, you're sort of, you, you understand your function and you, you act. Can you and, tell me more you know, about, about those ethics? So it sounds like that, that's, um, a release of material possession and, and, uh, increased attention towards action. What are, are there some shoulds of Zen Buddhism? Cause when I think of ethics, I think of what you should do. And perhaps that's a very Western view of what ethics have come to mean, but they're prescriptions for good behavior and restrictions from bad behavior. Is that how ethics work within Buddhism? That there are there are things you should be doing or ways you should be doing things? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's painted quite simply. It's things like mm -hmm. right mind. It's like being of the right mind and being in a place where you can be clear headed. You can think straight. You can you have equanimity. You know, you're able to, you know, be disinterested in, in a in a positive way. Uh, you know, not killing is very is very <laughs> simple. I mean, it's very and very into most most Buddhists are are vegetarian at least i'm not i used to be but i'm not now so as an example that's one that i'm not fully prescribed to but I, not that i'm opposed to it's just, just not something that I've, I've crossed um right speech so speaking and and that all they're not very clear i mean in a sense they're they're intentionally yeah. vague it's like and and there's ideas that all of these things are should just not be done with heedlessness so you might take uh, a precept of saying i'm no longer going to intoxicate myself but only to heedlessness, like if the intoxicant, if, if you're taking a psychedelic and that's going to help you yeah. uh, be catalyze some of your your insight or your enlightenment, um, that's fine. Or if you're if you're going to if you want to drink and you have a drink and it's not going to get it's not heedless, it's not going to get you out of control. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You know, and if you've got a uh, if there's a hornet coming to kill you and you got to kill the <laughs> hornet, I think that's fine. You know, so I yeah. think a lot of it, so much of the teaching is the middle way is just you know, you, you aspire for something, you aspire to do these things, you aspire to, to kind of live a certain way. And every day you just try and that's it. That's the effort. You don't beat yourself up about it. And that's the, I kind of like that about the, the, yeah. uh, it's been a very, it just sounds very true. Like every time I, the more and more I read mm. and study and practice, I'm like, this just feels right. This feels like something I've been, I've known all along, but have not been paying attention to. Is there, I, what, what you just mentioned kind of made me think, is there Buddhist punishment? Like in, in Christianity, there's hell, right? You don't do bad because we are going to give it to you <laughs> in, the, in the afterlife. Yeah. You screw it up. <laughs> You're just going to regret it forever as you get tortured. Yes. By the and, and what's interesting about Buddhism, and correct me if I'm wrong, is my impression is like the only hell there is, is the uh, it's the it's the doing of the wrong thing. It, it's like you you just suffer in in the attachment to the material good. There's no further punishment in the afterlife or anywhere else it's there's no afterlife there is a see this is stuff suffering. that i'm i'm not quite prescribed to sure. and i don't know enough about so i'd be i'm quite ignorant but there are there are elements of karma at play mm -hmm. with certain mm -hmm. certain sects of of uh buddhism where karma comes into play in the sense of there's things like reincarnation who you come Got back it. as uh your karmic seeds sort of following you i, don't, I again i don't I, I really don't know anything about this i'm purely ignorant i'm just sort of from what I gather, there's that whole element there. And there's also a, a, a mystical 
sort of element as well that's also quite divided and different and every and, and just like any religion like buddhists also fight about what's right and what's wrong and who's true and all that good jazz so like but that's it's a very peaceful fight not always there are some yeah some buddhist wars out have, there yeah. there have been buddhist wars for sure so uh are you also interested um, we've, we've talked in the podcast are you interested in breathwork psychedelics uh altered states or how does that does that i've connect yeah no no I, I psychedelics are are awesome um i have a lot more experience with with mushrooms so like psilocybin has been i'd say i'd put it I, I read the michael pollan book right how to change your mind and i i'd say just like a lot of people in that book like i'd put mushrooms probably in some of the top five experiences of my life Pr- profound um uh enduring like i feel like they they stick they stick with me and there have been a lot of talks around how they, again they can serve as a catalyst to awakening and so for someone who's in the right state of mind or in the right you know, has enough stability, mental stability to do it well uh, or to do it without risk, I'd say mm-hmm. it's great. And I, for me, I found it to be, yeah, just profoundly interesting. I don't know. How about you guys? Are you guys oh, yeah, partakers? Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Did we I not talk, talk about, about it too much when we, when we talked the first time? Uh, I think we might have. I don't remember. I don't know. We're deep in it. We're t- I mean, not as deep as like 10 year shamans, but not a shaman. <laughs> big, big supporters, big supporters. Uh, you know, at least quarterly practicers. And 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 the future of Charisma on Commander, the entity that was Charisma on Command, I yeah. think is a psychedelic retreat center that I oh, am, wow. that I am um, very involved in. Uh, I don't know that I'll be the shaman, but I think that experiencing the transformative thing is amazing and watching people experience psychedelic mm. transformations is, it's just that, that watershed moment of like, oh my God, all the shit I was worried about is so, it just pales in comparison to watching this person breakthrough or or even experience difficulty um it's just so it feels so much more real Hmm. um which is Hmm. what's strange because i called them no that's great i mean everybody myself included calls them hallucinogens and what's funny is it's like it's the realest thing that or some of the realest things that i've experienced are in and around those uh experiences so that's that's very much i feel like the feelings are very real the the visuals uh, there was a what's her name um she was on the tim ferris podcast is elizabeth can't remember her last name. Uh, Eat, pray, love writer. Uh, Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. So she spoke about psychedelics and mentioned that, you know, she really for a long time felt that they were truth. Like she had found capital T truth in them. And then when sober sort of reevaluated what she had seen and experienced and realized they were just that they were visions. They were, they were um, for her, at least they were just temporary uh, trances. They weren't real. And so her having to separate those two pieces. And so I, I kind of land in the middle. I don't, I think maybe between the two of you guys where I'd say you're, you know, of like you really experienced capital T truth potentially or have seen things. And she says they were all, that's all baloney. It wasn't real. Oh, is, I think Ben say, thinks that, right? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> here's, here's my thing. It's like, is there a chance that these plants somehow mystically disconnect you from your body in a way that you experience truth of the capital T such that when you think you are the universe, you're actually experiencing what your existence will be post-death. No ego. You are part of the universe, Mm -hmm, universal mm -hmm, energy. mm -hmm. Or the same way that you drink alcohol and it does something in your brain that makes you feel a certain way. And if you drink enough, you'll get double vision or whatever. Do you take these and then they release chemicals in your brain and then you see things that are being caused by your own brain and have nothing to do with anything except for your own brain. And what I've come to is 
no one can convince me of either with 100% certainty. Sure. And it doesn't really matter to me which one it is. Yeah. So that's where I land. I think it's that's like, great. This is still, if it's only in my own brain, I'm seeing my blind spots, moving past my trauma, creating neural synapses and connections that could, would not be possible without psychedelics, and then moving forward with a brain that is improved for empathy and removed from or released from the anxiety and trauma. It's like, great. Or is it the fact that I kissed divinity that makes it so that I go forward with more empathy mm -hmm. and remove my trauma? Who cares? Like, why? Well, I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to yeah. die on this hill. I'm not going to. And I don't need, I don't feel a need to believe it's capital T truth, nor do I, my ego doesn't demand that I reject that there's a, some percentage chance that I'm kissing divinity. I just don't care personally. Mm -hmm, right, just right, get right. I just, the experience is what it is. And it's good for me in the ways that I enjoy, you know, which is the increased I think empathy, that, that increased concept of kissing so, divinity, I think that's. That's a lot of what my my Zen practice has become. In 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 the Zen meditation practice, you enter into a state uh, which is which is a state where there is no sort of time or space, cause or effect, mm -hmm. name or form. It's just sort of free floating ether or substance, right? That we're all part of, and you connect with that within a meditation. You connect with that. The idea is to return to like what's really here, and it's you're experiencing the, the interpenetration of those two things of like that experience of this whole substance and divinity or whatever we call this, yeah. this material and what's really here in front of us where there is cause and effect and there is substance and form and there is, you know, cause and effect. It's things that are, you're, well, you're, yeah. you're here in the world. Um, and it's like the, 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 the reintegration of those two pieces, but like that touching of divinity, I think that's the piece that has taken me six, seven, eight years of, of meditation practice to experience but that happened in one night the first time I took mushrooms, that same yeah. exact feeling, that sensation of touching it. And there's a, a metaphor that's used by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's another, he's a Vietnamese yeah, like thinker. It. He talks about the water and waves as this example that we all are waves. So think of us in the ocean, we're waves. Yeah, yeah. And we, we become sad that we're cresting and growing, but we all know that we're going to die. We're going to hit the shore. We're going to end and our, our, we're, our life as a wave will be over. Uh, and that some waves are bigger than us and we feel like we're the small wave and there's big waves and small waves and there's waves that never get noticed and there's waves that get surfed. <laughs> but when we think about it all, the substance is that we're all just water. And so it doesn't matter like the, the time span of life and death of a wave of being big or small, it does not matter. It's perfect in the way that it is. And it's just water. And I think of like psychedelics and this, and the practice as a way of, as a wave touching to the idea that we are just water. And so mm -hmm, you get mm -hmm. that occasional touch and glimpse of it and knowing that we're water, then all of a sudden it's like, like you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, uh, Charlie, like it, you, everything else just sort of falls apart. Like it falls mm -hmm. away. You don't have to, you don't, the pressures aren't, don't seem as real or as big because you realize that we're all connected. It's all the same. Yeah. No. And I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but the other, besides capital T truth with a capital T there's reality with a capital R, you know, and you had mentioned you mm -hmm. go into this experience and then you come back to reality. And maybe Charlie says, none of this is what you consider reality. Reality is only when you're uh, up with no ego and there is no Charlie Hooper. And then there's other people who say, this is a simulation. So actually what you experience on psychedelics, <laughs> that's not reality with a capital R. What you experience off of it, that's not reality with a capital R. You have no functional memory of ever having reality with a capital R. And I come back to the same thing with, is it divinity or is it purely existing in my neurons, which is fine. 
Okay, maybe I don't know which one's reality with a capital R. Maybe it's maybe I'm like some sort You're of You're a Zen Buddhist. Alien alien it's, goat creature it's all who to our thing. It, but the totality of it. It's all real. Sure. It's all reality. And, yeah, and I guess to me, if it's a simulation or this is reality with a capital R, or this is some hallucination of universal consciousness, and that's it's I'm still gonna live the same way, which is I'm gonna try to have empathy, release my anxieties, contribute to the world. So I I come back to the same thing with that one, which is I don't want to bicker about when you say, is this, and then you come back to reality. No, no, this isn't. It's like, I don't care. I, Cause you can experience the kissing divine. You can experience the living in the 3d world. If this is a simulation at some point, you'll come out of it. So I don't, I don't feel like there's an advantage to that fight that I see some people get really fired up about. Mm -hmm. I don't right. know how you guys feel what, about what, it. What the hell do we know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I share your, I don't know. I share your not wanting to bicker. I, where we might differ is that I think you said, I, I don't care and I care a lot. So like, it's not something that, if other people agree or like I, I I I'm at the same place of who fucking knows, but I'm supremely interested. Yeah. Like, to me, it seems like the most important I think direction I could I could move in is to try to understand. I think whichever one is the capital R, you'll inevitably find mm -hmm. and can't speed your way to. I actually think no amount of mm -hmm. ayahuasca ceremonies gets you there faster. You'll just get there when you die. I guess you could if mm -hmm. you jump in front of a bus, you'll get there faster. And even and even that's faster as as we call it, 3D world time, in which time. is no. So in terms of who cares, and you're saying it's very important to me. And again, maybe it's because I have a, I have a framework of is this actionable? Mm -hmm. I guess that underpins a lot. Exactly. Of your, your axiom is how does it? You've you've kind of pre um, presumed that this world is the most important plane of existence, and no, what no, will I do about it? Let, no, no. Let's say that I'm the wa I'm the water. Eric, I said that I'm a wave. Mm -hmm. The wave is unimportant, but I'm not. I'm not going to crash any faster, even if I acknowledge that I'm not the wave and I'm the ocean. I'm not going to speed up my trajectory to shore. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's a great way of not, thinking about it. It's not something I pursue, it's, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. pursue that. But there's no duality. Like we, we clearly all care about it. Like in mm -hmm. the sense that we we care because we're interested. We care that it helps open our awakening. We care that it, it feels like it's uh, helping us see with a better perspective. But um, what the answer actually is, I don't think to me is as important um you know we can sit with the unknown and that's that's comfortable and that's cool mm -hmm. but yeah psychedelics have been no, i think they're very very interesting but I, i've also heard the warning i've seen friends and uh, know of people who have family members who have experienced you know bad experiences where they weren't ready and they've entered yep. into states of deep depression or schizophrenia as a result of of uh whatever i think psychedelic treatment or yeah. practice yeah, no, or whatever you I, call it I do too, and I know that some people are pre-wired for a bad experience, but for the person I know that had a bad experience, I actually question if it was the setting and the shaman. Hmm. I know someone that I think was actually on the road to getting something from their experience and literally got up and ran, just sprinted away, never wow. really came back, mm -hmm. and then blamed it for months of anxiety and bad mental health. And mm -hmm. I question, he, he, his version would be that ayahuasca messed him up. And my version would be how he did ayahuasca. And, and, him up. and he didn't have and the support that he didn't have. Yeah, because yeah. he didn't have a schizophrenic break. Like, I, I know there's some people that if you just take a psychedelic, you'll have a schizophrenic break and you have to sense out. There's, you know, different things that can maybe forewarn you if you're wired like that or not. But he didn't have that. What he had was afterwards a lot of anxiety and and emotional unsteadiness. And so, yeah, he thinks he's one of these people that's wired for the danger. But I actually mm. think if I had to place money on it, that it was 
the set setting and shaman that sure. that mm-hmm. led him to a bad experience so i think it's, it's know, really to important. his point about doing a, doing a center your warning is well taken though because we often uh we can get up on our bully pulpit super excited about it while forgetting that we have a diverse audience of thousands of people and yeah it's within not right that for everybody people. i think that's yeah. i really don't think so I, there's a uh, just uh, Tr- Trudy Goodman runs Insight LA mm-hmm. and her brother. And so she she actually ran an event on psychedelics and awakening. So she runs Insight LA. It's a very, very big meditation group, very important. And her brother had a very bad experience and I think uh, had psychotic episodes as a result and never really fully recovered. This is now 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. but just for some people, it's it's, it's not the right thing. I, I, I think it's responsible to kind of think that or to say that, but mm-hmm. But I, I, if if you do feel like you've got that that um, that foundation, you feel secure and safe. It can be fascinating. But yeah, set and setting is crucial. But I'm so curious to hear more about yeah the center and things that you're thinking about. That's interesting, dude. We, it's a big we responsibility. Out, we got to get you out there, man. We'll we'll do it. So where I've is got- this? So I'll give you the brief synopsis of it. It's illegal right now, so we can't, we can't do it. <laughs> oh, we it. did talk about this. That's right, Ben. I do remember this now. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. So briefly, Oregon made psilocybin legal, but it's going to be two years till the licenses start. Yeah, and I... even then, you have to have been an Oregon resident. So I want to do it in the U.S. I don't want to uh, upend my life in order to do it and I th- yeah. exactly. I think it's important that I am nearby and there and all of those sorts of things. Um, so we're just very carefully waiting we're building an audience we're putting it out there that this is something we're interested in i still i feel like i'm getting a ton from it i'm so much a student i'm actually going to be taking in in june i'm going to do my first facilitator training which is to Hmm. say that i will be in the room with a trained person and somebody else will be having their experience and Hmm. i will be the student driver, if you will. You know, we both have steering wheels and mine is is the primary one. But if I get in trouble, it's like, oh, I'm taking over. Yeah, so right, is the right. person doing it someone you know? Uh, it will be someone that I meet and that we discuss. So it's not and, your sister or your No, no, or... it's going to be someone else going through, through the training. So it's kind of like haircutters cutting each other hair. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're all yeah. going to get bad haircuts. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's what's going to happen I got you, I got you. at the end of this. Um, but... Yeah, so I'm I am looking forward to and nervous for that. That's going to be a very it's going to be very yeah, interesting. To sounds be on cool. The other big side responsibility. Just yeah. yes. You, you know and again, I'm the student driver. I'm not. I'm under no illusions that I'm the guy that's actually like I'm. You know, I'm at the Fisher Price steering wheel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is I'm driving Daddy's car type thing. So in any event, man, this has been a fantastic conversation. It's been so Every, fun. Oh, hold on, I got two more. Oh, do it. I got two more, and then I have two, but for off air because I know you're not going to want to talk. About <laughs> um, so this is one that uh, Justin asked me to ask our producer. So uh, just because YouTube has changed so much and our audience, I think, is interested in that as a creator who's been on YouTube for a long time, do you have any thoughts on how YouTube has changed and evolved? They were this young for the creator, for the audience company. Now they're more mature. Censorship is a big topic on YouTube. And if they should and shouldn't censor. So I, I think, you know, with this podcast gets more more listens on YouTube than on the podcast platform. A lot of the people are interested. Just do you have a, do you have a take? on YouTube's trajectory and growth and where it's been and where it's going and the censorship and all that? I haven't thought too much about it. Like the, I, the censorship side of things was, it was frustrating. So Wisecrack as, as an example, wanted to move into history content, 
one of the really mm. cool videos we made was about the what we called the Hitler industrial complex, <laughs> which was Hitler is good for business. So yeah. like it's good for views. People love it. So the History Channel is like nonstop specials on Hitler. Mm. You go on and on every <laughs> single network. Like if you make Hitler content, you're going to be successful. So we made a video on the industrial complex on like, how did Hitler become the product? Like he is the Avengers of history. <laughs> you know, that, like, is, he, that is he a is great the hit. sounding video. It's an amazing video. It's so good. It got demonetized instantaneously because it had the word Hitler in it. Yeah. So YouTube pulled us aside and wouldn't let us record our phone these phone calls. They wouldn't let us kind of screen capture these notes. But oh they walked goodness. us through effectively the censorship guidelines. Like here's the things that we will not allow to be monetized. And so, of course, all of us in the background on Telegram are chatting like this is <laughs> nuts. Like is YouTube legitimately saying these are topics that can't be covered? And this is history. So it's like it's history. It's not like so they yeah. say things like hate speech and blah, blah, blah. And we're Wait, like, so, so to be clear, like you is, can't talk about hate speech. Like if yeah. I were to do like if I did a what is hate speech, the history of hate speech, that would you be might, you might be lucky with the censors. I think Hitler might be like the like a red flag. But <laughs> for us, we took it as that. And wow. we we were upset. We were quite they, angry. We said like, so this means that every history channel on YouTube now really can't cover anything that had any controversial history. Like you can't cover genocides. You can't cover war because war was wow. also demonetized you couldn't cover anything so as a platform like kind of in terms of a, uh, manufacturing consent and num chomsky yeah. and that whole world it was like wow the platform is like the i should say this the advertising is going to determine the content well, and do they so, suppress the views or just not or just demonetize because we did a video on only fans and because it was it had racy images they didn't just demonetize it. They suppressed the views. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was crushing it. And then it was just you, like, no one will ever watch this. Was the Hitler yeah. video three, three million views, but just no money to you? Or was it like YouTube saying, no, it was, it was both. So it was both. Watch you, this. It was more like the latter. Like YouTube wow, would. Wow. Um, so YouTube worse. claims that demonetized videos do not. So monetization does not have an effect on distribution. That might be true. I, in our experience, it's not hasn't seemed to be the case. We've seen that when videos get demonetized, it tend to have less distribution. But yeah. I think what happened recently, maybe in the last two years, was that YouTube also then moved to like a rating. So a video would not yes. only have monetization as a factor, but also what what's its appropriateness? Like, does it contain? Mm -hmm. You can you do this when you upload your videos now. Does it contain racy material? And I think Hitler, as an example, entered into mm -hmm. both of those realms. Yeah. It was both demonetized and not distributed and so it just Understood. became incredibly upsetting when when history was in many ways it was a very formidable and interesting vertical for us to approach i mean wisecrack yeah. had covered history and or had covered philosophy and cinema and psychology and of course you'd cover history next no <laughs> you know, so wow so that was, was a business crazy. decision that was frustrating i mean i'm jewish and i think it's important that people learn about hitler because yeah you can have yes. a video that's like hey Hitler was great and this should have gone blah, blah, blah. But also, what about a video about how he rose to power and learning from it right. and the dangers of it and preventing future and you do atrocities have some of those by understanding the, it? Right. And you do have some it's of those on the platform that like Ted Ed did a really cool video on, on Hitler's rise to power. These are all fairly new things. These are things that as a result of major advertising pullbacks or the 2018 stuff, like these are all results. So, so to answer your original question, Ben, like it's just hard. Like I empath, like as a business person, I empathize with God. They have a very difficult oh, business. Tough, yeah. Like difficult. To, yeah, they're 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 a platform with 
millions of voices. So how do you police that? How you keep it safe? Like now mm-hmm. I'm working for a social media platform. That is that is huge on our agenda. It's like, how do we figure out trust and safety? Uh, Jared thinks that every social network should have an ethicist on on standby, like full time, because mm-hmm. there is. It, he said he he likened it to like it, it's like having an oil company and having just had the BP spill. Like you want to have someone who's going to make sure they take care of that stuff yeah. environmentally. So running a social platform is super hard. I so on the business side, I'm like I empathize. On the creator side, I I think it sucks, and it's like kind of like again, I sit in the middle of the two and thinking. It it seems like you know, it's you it's unfortunate. I don't know where YouTube is going. I, I I don't know the answer to that though. You mentioned that from your perspective, it was this is what advertisers will pull money from. So YouTube is reactive to revenue yeah. not coming in. I'm. Do you have any take? Because I wonder, is there any reason to believe that? that the brand association by being near a Hitler video is going to hurt sales or, or decrease the appeal of something? Or is that the, so there's other theories that I've heard, which you might not know the answer to is that advertisers looking for a way to yank YouTube's chain and just be like, look, you, you can't raise rates on us. So, Oh, Hitler, we got to go away. You know, like they, they just are overly reactive more than they need to be to their bottom line in order to keep YouTube on a short leash? Or is it that there's a tiny vocal minority on Twitter that advertisers don't want to deal with and they're reactive to them? I'm trying to figure out where the root of this squeamishness is. And I'm not sure if you have any I don't know. I really don't know. My guess is that brands just want to be super safe. Like, I I don't know what kind of... Mm -hmm. if they're Because Google is an amazing marketplace, I don't think that they're really going to be able to affect the rates by way of pulling out and pulling mm-hmm. in now. I, don't, I just don't think that maybe maybe it does. I mean, maybe it's a big enough sway that it does affect the prices. My guess is just that at its base level, like Kraft just doesn't want to have the risk of running in front of a Hitler video. And and yeah. and it's not and it's not the like a good historical wisecrack video on the history of Hitler's of uh, the dangers of, of a character like Hitler is great. And if they took the time to say, okay, you know what? Craft okay. singles can yeah. be advertised on this video. It's great. <laughs> but they can't, as a platform with that kind of volume, they yeah. just can't do that. So my guess is probably risk. just about, it's just so much safer to not mm-hmm. place anything against Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because on the, on the History Channel, they probably have a dedicated teams and clearly there's yeah. advertisers for that programming. There's not, they wouldn't run those shows if they didn't. But on yeah. YouTube, my guess is just that it's, it's just too racy to pick to pick and choose which political videos are safe and which Hitler videos are safe. My my hope would be that they would be able to say, hey, this channel has earned a badge of being super safe. Yeah. Like, look, they've had no violations in seven years. Like, give it to them. Like, they're going to be fine. But mm. it's an automation thing. I don't know if you had like yeah. the whole demonetization thing, whatever they called, like <laughs> AdGator. Ad, whatever, what was that called? I forget. Uh, Adpocalypse, it was Adpocalypse. called. Adpocalypse, yeah. Like, where- where they pulled out and they ad- dramatically affected ad rates for at least twelve months. I mean, yep. it was it was s- yep. s- serious. Um, but you had one you had one more question, right? Well, yeah, I just wanted to give you a chance if you want to talk about what you're doing now. Yeah, well, I'm working for a new amazing uh, social network called HiHo. So I can't really talk much about it. We're still in stealth, but it's uh, the investors include Tim Ferriss. So he's oh, wow. hopefully we're gonna be one of his multi his five thousand <laughs> five unicorns. billion x returns. <laughs> So Tim Ferriss, Adam Grant, I'm Adam Grant uh, is on a TED podcast too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got just uh, Chris Saka, just incredible investors. The CEO is Greg Spiridelis, the guy who started Jib Jab and Storybots. Can you and tell I- us anything about like the uh, the one sentence like? what it is or is it is it super duper stealth i'm going to give your your audience the super (laughs) sneak peek the first time ever hearing about this thing except for ben but it's uh (laughs) in a sense uh it is a video version of reddit 
So if you think mm. about TikTok, if TikTok had an interest graph, so where you could talk about anything from charisma, performance, entrepreneurship, plants, uh, science and technology, anything at all, business, anything that all you might be interested in, but there were the ability to have threaded asynchronous conversations in video form. That's what the app is going to be doing. Um, and we've got people like Tim Ferriss and Adam Grant and some big YouTubers coming on already and we're launching in March. So I, I, again, I'd love the chance for your, your fans to come on and try it out, but, um, Whatever. Yeah, I think it's a well, big opportunity. A link, we can throw the link into the uh, the description. So let us know if there's like a wait list or something like that. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Or we can also just link to it starting March 1. <laughs> yeah, I think it's ready. Gonna love, come out, yeah, this is going to come out in February, early February. Oh, we can, we can try so. to time it with that. We'll try oh, to yeah, time it. Sure. We can it's also, out today. It's out, it's out today <laughs> it's now. Out today. <laughs> I just think, no, it, it's what it, with the ability of what it allows to, to happen is quite cool. Like, again, uh, Reddit is amazing. I mean, the, the fact that you can search for kind of any topic and find interests and find experts is cool. The ability to do that in video form and get to actually see and, and hear who's who's talking is is new and fresh and kind of yeah. an interesting take, given that we become so familiar and comfortable with video. What's the use case? Because I'm, for, I mean, I personally for Reddit mostly use it for at this point, like trying to figure out something. So I'll try. I'm like, what's a good surfboard for a big person? So for me, the ability to skim quickly is an asset, I'd say, of text. Yeah, yeah. And then if I want to get video, I just go to YouTube. So what, as it, not as a creator, but as a user, what would I go to HiHo for? I think it's like the ability to actually, it's kind of like Twitter, it's access. So for me to actually ask you and, and Charlie questions and be able to directly hear your responses and see you as you respond to me. Mm. Uh, that that's that's really the gem like that's the beauty is that it's access to to really interesting people like so for example uh the stylist beyonce stylist is a, is a good friend and she's coming onto the platform so she's styling you know Gigi hadid and kendall jenner and beyonce she's she's the, the creative and fashion director for for ivy park really cool stuff Got but it. no one ever gets to access to her and she doesn't like twitter she finds she doesn't like words honestly she just yeah. said that words are kind of like not her thing yeah. she loves pictures and video so she's just the ability to be able to ask her questions uh she's going to use it to be able to say hey i want to create a lookbook of like the best boutiques in america all of her fans can go out into the world and go film out their favorite boutiques and she can stitch those together and that becomes like a, a user-generated community so it's kind of it. like it's 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 the ability to to get access and find other like-minded people and ask questions and answer each other's questions. And I think also like a way to share expertise. Like I'd like to get my my Zen teacher on there <laughs> to answer questions with the, the Buddhism community. Got, Got it. it. So is it fair to say that whereas Reddit is more for the everyman, like I, I want to know what big guys surf. And so I'm just going, I'm just trying to find 50, 210 pound surfers and what they surf. This is more similar to Twitter where they're not going to answer every question, but you might tweet at somebody, Kevin Hart, and actually get a response, which is, there's no other way to get Kevin Hart to pay attention yeah. to you. This is a way to get Kevin Hart, or let's say Tim Ferriss is a more accurate example, to make to a video maybe response. make yeah. a video to me about my specific question. And obviously, he can't do them all because of a scale, but is that the best? It's like, I love Tim Ferriss. I have a question for him. This is my only chance to get a video personally done by him is that I'd say what it's for i'd say that's one of the benefits right like that's the benefit on the on the sort of twitter and celebrity use case the other use okay. case being for someone like like marnie let's imagine she wasn't uh a you know big stylist but she happened to just be a user saying like i love information but i prefer video i prefer to consume content that way mm -hmm. if forums can be more helpful in that way great 
another example is again for plant for plant folks for people like uh people who are have like a dying plant i can be able to say hey this this plant of mine is drooping what do i do mm. you don't need to be a celebrity to answer that but there might be really informed yeah, yeah. uh horticulturalists or, or plant experts on there to say oh yeah it's not it's definitely your soil or your water uh-huh. and so it's something that again an example in a use case where video and, and imagery is so much more important than than text got it so it's a little bit of reddit a little bit of quora a little yeah. bit of youtube a little bit Got of TikTok, it. a little bit of, yeah, it's a little, two parts this, two parts that. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, think of it yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's a threaded video. Um, threaded video is the idea. So it's like, you know, discussion boards and, and, and Reddit have been trapped in text. People are more comfortable with video than ever before. It's sort of a, a marriage of the two. And, and the interface is what's really clever as a way of us being able to make that kind of work in an intuitive way. This is kind of a geeky question that maybe you guys haven't figured out, but it seems like a lot of, well, I'll just say TikTok, the newest exploding social media app is completely built off the discovery algorithm, which is like, I don't need your words or interaction. I can tell by your <laughs> your human movements, <laughs> which is creepy as hell. Like what things you'll watch for three seconds as opposed to five seconds as opposed to 20 seconds. How important is discovery to you versus search because obviously like if questions are being answered you know there's going to be a question answer thing are you guys looking at that almost that TikTok experience of not even needing to click a thumbnail where you're just going to throw things at people or are you looking at um threaded questions where you have to select or is that is that still kind of up in the air? no no we're looking at all that uh, and mm-hmm. all of it you know from from every single word that's spoken being transcribed and searchable and crawlable mm-hmm. uh, exposure of that on on webs being able to do that in terms of seo and search um, but also understanding who you are, what you follow, what interests you have, and being able to serve the stuff that's most important to you. So algorithmically serving you content, like all that's super important. Yep. And if you're interested in like the TikTok side of things, like I'm reading a book now called Attention Factory, I think it's called, which is like mm-hmm. the history of of TikTok and ByteDance, which is yeah, <laughs> fascinating, Crazy. fascinating, fascinating book. So right. I'm, I'm ensconced in this world now. It's kind of my new my new, <laughs> my new life, and I'm I'm very I'm just learning a lot and loving it. Nice. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I will say uh, Buddhism seems to be working for you, as does the sale. You seem like a very happy guy. And yeah, it's been a yeah, pleasure. dude. It's my record <laughs> collection. It's my, <laughs> it's my music. Yeah, man. It's been a great chat. I'm glad that we got a chance to do this. Yeah, this was Thank a lot of fun. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for coming no, on. Thanks for inviting me, guys. It was awesome. It was really fun. And everybody, if you want to check out HiHo, that'll probably be around now. If you want to join Patreon, that's in the description too. Peace. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.